the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, August 22nd, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 267. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree. It'll take you to the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. What's up, everybody? Big Tuesday edition of the show today. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. We've got lots of breaking news. Joe Biden made a trip to Maui. It was just as disastrous as you'd probably think. We'll play some clips and let you decide. Did Ron DeSantis pull Hillary Clinton moment over the weekend? Well, let you decide that one as well. And speaking of decisions, we'll play a little 2024 presidential primary roundup. We've got an amazing slate of guests today. We're going to be joined by former ambassador to Denmark and former senatorial candidate, Carla Sands. We're going to sit down with Colonel Douglas McGregor. He was on Tucker Carlson last night. He's on Steak for Breakfast today. And we'll catch up with one of our favorite America First congressmen, Corey Mills. But before we get to any of our guests, let's jump right into the headlines and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! All right, everybody, welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Roan. Noah's here as well. Yo. We've got a big Tuesday edition of the show today. Uh, if you're a first-time listener, welcome in. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. Speaking of which, we're going to get off and get things started today talking about some of the news a lot of people aren't covering. It's the stuff going on with you know, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and the Biden crime family and all the newest revelations coming out there. I think, uh, Noah, you'll probably agree with this. When you look at this outside of places like Fox News and Newsmax and, and some of the more conservative-leaning podcasts, we don't really hear very much about this. Absolutely not. You, know, you hear less than, less than anything. And even though we're going to hear a surprising clip from fake news, Jake Tapper over at CNN in just a bit, uh, you know, I, I really truly and still believe that heading into this election cycle now, and we are nearing kind of a zero barrier to hit your wagon to somebody. If for the Democrats, that's going to be Joe Biden. So be it. But this is either going to stick or it isn't. And, uh, you know, once we get into the election cycle, the, the Democrat money machine is going to crush any kind of narrative counter to Bidenomics and everything is awesome. America is back. The adults are in the room. COVID's back. And we've never had a stronger footing than ever. Listen, we won't be covering anything. Yeah, fuck that shit. COVID related. So here's the deal. If you're going to believe that it's back, then you're an idiot. Hit the unsubscribe button. Yeah. Oh. But aside from that, you should be listening to us on all the major podcasting platforms. So if you are doing that, make sure you hit that subscribe button as well. Okay, jumping into this, I saw on Sunday morning John Radcliffe, the former DNI who served during the Trump administration, jumped in on Sundays with Maria and was talking about some of this stuff, especially the biased into it. And, and you know, Radcliffe gave a little bit of insight into why you're seeing so many people want to kind of stay away from this, and it's not just because of partisan politics. Let's check it out. So, John, how do you square this circle? The fact that you're hearing bribery charges against a sitting president, and yet the media and the, the Biden DOJ is zeroing in and ramping up the heat on former President Trump. Well, 
Maria, I don't think it's that they're ignoring it. I think it's that they're scared. Look, you have to you have to keep in mind that they're all co-conspirators in this. They're all complicit in this. What mm. I mean by that is all of this stuff wasn't it, it, it was the fact that the mainstream media uh, went with all of the things like the Hunter Biden laptop as Russian disinformation. They promoted the 51 intelligence officials that were lying. They promoted the you know, Russia collusion story, all of these things. Uh, and, and, and folks at the Department of Justice and the FBI, you know, uh, you know they lied to get uh, FISA warrants uh, to spy on the Trump campaign. So they're all, you know, they were all part of this and they're all complicit in this and there's so much at stake. And if it unravels, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not just, uh, you know, political folks that will, will take a fall on this. It's, uh, you know, the American people will see for, you know, uh, see it for what it is. Now, so having said that, you know, yeah, these these are the challenges that President Trump continues to face, um, you know, with these with these charges and the and the trial dates that are coming up. You know, the, the thing that I would you know point out to to to, to people here is that, you know, uh, uh, Donald Trump didn't uh, run for president to uh, run for reelection as president to to avoid political charges, as some people are saying, you got to remember, he announced he was a candidate first. He became the front runner first. All of these charges in Georgia, in New York, both Jack Smith cases and the federal cases, they decided to bring charges after Donald Trump became the leading contender in the Republican nomination, which just really underscores why this all continues to be political and why it's all directed at trying um, to stop him from being reelected. <laughs> they're, they're trying to say that he's only running for president because he wants to save himself legally yeah <laughs> it would cost a whole hell of a lot less to not run for president what so add that one to the trump doesn't actually believe that the the election was rigged and stolen <laughs> right what can you say I've got a bridge in new york i want to sell you well donald trump tried to do that too and they wouldn't let him <laughs> We can talk to Chris Christie about that. Actually, we won't. We'll never have him on the show. Oh, oh Guys, we're going to be talking about a bunch of stuff today. Listen, there's a lot of news. It was a busy news weekend. Obviously, we were heading up into the first debate, and that's going to be aired tomorrow. Uh, nobody really cares, but we'll still give it a little bit of coverage. Joe Biden had a disastrous trip to Maui, to say the very least, yesterday. Wait, hold on a sec. What if we actually have Chris Christie on, and then we just play a sound effect of someone chewing and be like, uh, Chris, uh, is, is that on your end? We, we hear this noise. It sounds like somebody's eating. You know, he's, actually, Chris Christie's pretty sharp. He'd probably get that. Yeah. You know, when, when you're... You just end, and it would just be like, he's left your meeting. When you are as fat as Chris Christie is, and then your clapbacks usually include acknowledging the fact that people make fun of you because of your weight problem, you're like at a higher IQ than most. Most people just deflect and, and think it's other things. Or they say that my mother says that you're just jealous because I'm so handsome. Mm -hmm. Yes, <laughs> that is it. Uh, we've got a great slate of guests coming in today. For I'm sure that just about everybody in our listenership has seen the Tucker on Twitter episode 18, which aired yesterday. Uh, Steak for Breakfast Enjoyer, Colonel Douglas McGregor, was his guest. Nice. It's already at four and a half million views. Nice. So. He'll get a couple less on the show today, but you'll be able to hear the colonel like only you can here on Steak for Breakfast as he's usually an absolute treat to host. Well, let's hope it's comparable. They actually did a, 
not edit out one throat clear. Oh, nice. So, yeah, th- those are very organic, and Noah does an excellent job of, of editing them out whenever the colonel joins us. Well, sometimes you got to clear your voice. Yeah. Former ambassador to Denmark and uh, one of our great friends, Carla Sands, is going to be here as well, and we'll be sitting down at some point in the show, hopefully with Congressman Corey Mills. He's just getting ready to jump on a plane today and head over to Japan for some congressional-related items, but he told me this morning that he'd be able to make it. So, great show. Previewing the debates, Biden's trip to Maui. And then we'll do a little presidential primary roundup to uh, get you guys all up to date and, and fresh heading into the week here. So thanks for being with us. You um, think, you think uh, Biden's going to bring Hunter home some Maui Waui? Mm, or did it all burn? Probably snuck it on the plane himself anyways. Yeah. So I did say that, uh, you know, we'd be hearing some counter narrative from fake news CNN and Jake Tapper. But I was pretty actually, I was shocked to hear that they were talking about not only the Biden business dealings, but uh, the fact that Donald Trump was right on a CNN roundtable that aired this Sunday. Let's check it out. And and, uh, Kristen, uh, Glenn Kessler from The Washington Post uh, had a fact check about Joe Biden uh, from earlier this month, um, noting that Hunter Biden admitted in court in July that he was, in fact, paid substantial sums uh, from Chinese companies. Kessler wrote, Hunter Biden reported nearly $2.4 million in income in 2017 and $2.2 million in income in 2018, most of which came from Chinese or Ukrainian interests. But this, and this directly goes against what Joe Biden said in the debate in 2020 uh, with uh, Donald Trump. Take a listen. My son has not made money in terms of this thing about, uh, what are you talking about, China. What do you mean? You know, the thing. He made a fortune <laughs> in Ukraine, what in you, China, in Moscow, that is simply and various not other places. True. Oh, it's not true? So it's from two different debates, but, I mean, Trump was right. I mean, he did make a fortune from China, and Joe Biden throw was wrong. Over the table. <laughs> I don't know that he was lying about it. He might not have been told by Hunter, but this blind Stop spot it. is a problem. Mm. It's a problem, one, because Republicans aren't going to let it go, that's for sure. But also, yep. these problems are continuing through the legal system. It's not as though this is something that's been settled in other jurisdictions and Republicans are just harping on it. It they is an ongoing to. thing in our courts. It's not going anywhere. This is a blind spot. Does it concern you as a Democrat? Well, I think dads have sometimes and parents sometimes have blind spots about their kids, no. for oh. sure, and the president may be no exception. But nothing has tied the president to any of Hunter Biden's dealings. There's no whiff nothing? of him being involved or him being implicated in it. There's no whole and, laptop? Uh, it's, you know, I think it's not something the voters care a lot about. All right, my thanks to the panel. Thank- so, really? There's narrative and counter narrative. Jake Jake Tapper admittingly saying like, and even playing clips from the 2020 presidential debate, which I didn't think they actually had the balls to do. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, you want to memory hold that one, but you know, go and and show Joe Biden feverishly denying the fact that he knew anything about his son's business dealings, and then doubling down and saying that he was certain that his son didn't make money from any places from you know the thing, China. What are you talking about? <laughs> so, but then you have you know. Representative Waltz, who's sitting on the panel as well, Democrat, who says, well, it's kind of a tired narrative, and I don't really think voters give a shit about it. And there's no proof. There's not, like, an entire laptop full of information regarding business dealings and pseudonyms and fucking burner phones. You name it. And and he very well might have something, you know, beyond something there, but I just don't know if... The way Republicans are attacking this, it remains in the cycle as hard as it is, is something that Joe Biden can can avoid now at this point. Well, so, how many strongly worded letters does it take? <laughs> Who wants to be a millionaire <laughs> meme still wins the week. <laughs> that was a great one. 
Um, so Joe Biden had a trip, not down the stairs, although he did fall asleep at the first responders luncheon yesterday in Maui. Surprised nobody tried to Narcan him or something. It was a whirlwind four and a half hour total visit to the jumpstart him ravaged island nation. And let me tell you something. People wanted to make fun of Donald Trump doing the pop-in at the Iowa State Fair last week at a place where you want to whip up a little bit of the base and, and take some pictures with possible caucasers. What? I'm rolling with it. <laughs> and passing out pork chops on a stick. Then you have Joe Biden going to one of the biggest humanitarian disasters in recent memory. And, and here's an even better tie to it. Remember how much shit they gave Donald Trump when he showed up in Puerto Rico within 48 hours of the hurricane and hitting? Threw some paper towels out. Yeah, and was was <laughs> dropped back, <laughs> was fade awaying <laughs> rolls of bounty to the to the faithful there. Well, it is the quicker picker upper. So Joe Biden jet sets in on Air Force One from his summer getaway at Lake Tahoe. First thing he does is wave to the crowd. Like he's showing up at a rock concert. Mm-hmm. After his first speaking event. Wasn't the crowd yelling? That was on the way to the second one. We'll get there. <laughs> um, after his first speaking event, he met with some of the first responders and law enforcement who were have been on the ground since the fires have stopped. On the payroll? And, and was making comments about how hot the ground was there. Yeah, it was like talking about the dog's booties that he was wearing or something, right? Mm-hmm. Awkward. And, and the thing is... You just can't take into context the fact that this guy has no idea what he's doing. In between event one and two, his motorcade, which, remember, this is the greenest president in the history of fake news climate change, his 27-car motorcade from the tarmac to the first responders' luncheon, he was met by citizens of Maui who greeted him with signs that said, you're too late, asshole, (laughs) gave him the middle finger and chanted, fuck Joe Biden. Okay, so 27-car... Motorcade, mm-hmm. which, correct me if I'm wrong, they probably didn't send those over on a boat. That's a good point. I don't think you can fit 27 cars inside of Air Force One either. No. And they probably don't have just, like, presidents from motorcades hanging out on the island because mm-hmm. they'd be, well, kind of melted like all the other cars. So maybe his uh, long time to respond had to do with the fact that they were waiting for his cars to get over there. It's a there. lot of logistics. I mean, if they put them on a boat, that takes a little while. Mm-hmm. But most likely, they're in a military aircraft. Yeah. Which is so green. Before we get things rolling with some of Joe Biden's speaking event clips, if you want to call them that, mm. I did see the lead-up to this was on MSNBC earlier that morning. Noah's favorite embattled. Homeland Security <laughs> Secretary Alejandro Ale Mayorkas Ali. sat down for an exclusive interview to talk about just how bad and super important wildfires are. Oh, great. Let's hear it. Look at all of these natural disasters happening at the same time, and it just seems like the hits keep coming. Oh. Former DHS Secretary Jay Johnson, someone who has held your role before, has told me he believes the climate crisis may be the greatest threat to U.S. national security. Do you agree with that? Uh, 
I think it is one of the most prominent threats that we face. Oh, he's got that. You know, data. Um, I was with the president in Mayfield, Kentucky, a number of months uh, ago when a tornado devastated that uh, community. I was in Mississippi when I saw another community uh, community devastated by a tornado of unprecedented speed and strength and oh. resulting devastation. The frequency and gravity of extreme weather events in the United States and around the world is one of the greatest challenges that the globe currently encounters. And we need to work together as a community of people across the world to address this. Mm. Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you very much. We don't. That wasn't like a Ted Cruz level Alejandro, but that was all right for her. Alejandro. 10 million people have come across the U.S. southern border in the last two and a half years. I would say an overwhelming majority of them are of fighting age males, single. And here we are. And we're worried about cow farts? Tornadoes and wildfires. What about bean and cheese farts? Mm. What if the cows eat bean and cheese burritos? Right. Oof. Still going to eat steak. Yep. What if you got one of those tick bites that made you allergic to meat that's happening? Is that really a thing? I don't know. It's kind of like I feel like it's kind of one of those fringy kind of things, but that would be a bummer. I'd be upset. Where did the people who are allergic to gluten come from? I think that's in your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody feels a little bit bloated when you crush a half a bag of Doritos, family size. <laughs> only only half. Oh, there you go. Wherever you're listening to the show today, guys, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, make sure you're subscribed, downloading the show, also on social medias. Twitter, Getter, Truth Social, and Instagram. Follow the Steak for Breakfast accounts. Hit the notification bell. All right, we unfortunately promised hearing Joe Biden. His first speaking event came on the tarmac. They set up a little podium. Dr. Jill was wearing some tapestry. And uh, Joe Biden was, listen. She loves the high waters, too. You're going to hear some of the most distasteful comments you've ever heard from this president. And I'm not talking about him yelling about MAGA Republicans and stuff like that. When, when you hear he, how he references these wildfires and some of the comparisons he makes to his own personal experience. Well, and if you listen closely, he's lying again throughout the whole thing because he talks about, you know, well, I don't want to ruin it. Spoiler alert. He talks about his potential house burning down while he was in Washington, while his house in Delaware had a kitchen fire. And then he watched the first responders as they were responding. I've got an AP fact check on that. But before that, let's hear this one. America's deadly wildfire, deadliest wildfire in over a century. And Jill and I have what's left, uh, walked Front Street, what's left of it. We've surveyed the damage from the air as well. The devastation is overwhelming. To date, 114 dead, hundreds of people unaccounted for. I remember when I got the call, my first wife and daughter, I was a young senator, and I got a call in Washington. I hadn't been sworn in yet. I wasn't old enough. Mm. And I was hiring staff in the Capitol at Teddy Kennedy's office. And I got a phone call saying from my fire department, and a young first responder kind of panicked, you got to come home. There's been an accident. So what happened? He said, your wife, she, she, she's dead. Come home. Come home. The tractor trailer had broadsided her, and... Uh, uh, and killed her in a car accident along with my little daughter. And uh, I remember all the way down from Washington home. It sounded like a bad Wondering what a lot of people first. here wondering. What about my two boys? How are they? They were in the car. I never got a read on that. 
were they going to be all right? They were badly injured. Were they going to make it? Had they made it? Until I walked into the emergency room and I saw that they were there. What? Wrong kid died. What, what does that have to do with anything that he's there for? I think he meant to tell the story about the kitchen fire. And then he got sidetracked. Well, don't worry, we'll get there. That's when he puts on the pineapple lay a little bit later. He's got a pineapple lay. You know, the thing is, too, when you look at it, uh, I think grand old memes, if you, if you don't follow that account. Well, on, you're wrong. Yeah, I don't know how you couldn't. But he had an absolute heater yesterday. And it basically, you know, is a great snapshot of everything that's wrong with Joe Biden. He did a uh, little chart. Tragedy occurs, arrows to mishandled by Biden administration, Yep, which round down to Biden doesn't or delays visits. And then let's bring this on home with Bo Biden died in a similar tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> Wash, rinse, and repeat. You know, people give Hillary Clinton a lot of shit for her body count, but it seems like a lot of people near and dear and in close proximity to Joe Biden haven't made it throughout the years either. Mm-hmm. Pretty interesting. So if you thought that wasn't empathetic enough or... Empathetic? Is that the right one? Yeah. Okay. Pathetic. Or as equally pathetic as Noah so graciously put it, he did go on to an event later after he sat, slept through a first responder's luncheon Mm. and continued to compare the tragedy there, which at this point, there's still a thousand people missing. There's, there's hundreds of kids that they have no idea where they are. They, they didn't report to school when, when in-class services started again yesterday. And they sure as hell didn't set off their emergency alarms and sirens that would have let people know that there was some epic shit coming their way. Or turn the water on. Yeah, why would you turn the water off? Because of equity. Equity? Fuck them Hawaiians. Oh, I, think, I thought you meant the equity of all the big conglomerates that are trying to take the land away from the locals that have been holding out for fucking decades. We can't save all of the beachfront property that's owned by the Hollywood elites if we are allowed to use the water on the pores down in the valleys. Ah, yes, that's true. Let's hear 46. I don't want to (laughs) compare difficulties, but we have a little sense, Jill and I. We might need that button. What it's like to lose a home. Years ago, now 15 years ago, I was... In Washington, doing Meet the Press. That was a sunny Sunday. And lightning struck at home on a little lake. It's outside of our home, not on a lake, a big pond. <laughs> and hit a wire and came up underneath our home into the heating ducts, the My air, air conditioning duct. To make a long story short. Thank you. <laughs> I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. <laughs> And my cat. But all kidding aside, I watched the firefighters, the way they responded. You know, there's an old expression. From, from D.C.? I grew up right across the street from a fire hall in Claymont, Delaware. And the expression is, God made man, then he made a few firefighters. I've never heard that expression You're all before. crazy, thank God. Yeah, I don't think I've heard The that. only people who run in the flames... To help other people. Can you fact check that one? And as they well? ran into flames, saved my wife, and saved my family. Not a joke. The smoke and the firefighters here can tell you sometimes smoke is so thick, 
from the windows out. It was that thick inside the home. And we were, we were insured. We did not have any problem. But being out of our home for better part of a year was difficult. I can only imagine what it's like to lose your home. You hear the people in the back start yelling like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the uh, Associated Press fact-checked this portion of his speaking event yesterday. <laughs> According to a 2004 AP report, it was a small fire contained within the parameters of the kitchen in the Biden home and was under control by the fire department within 20 minutes or less. So you're saying he didn't rush there and watch the first responders respond. Entire families were vaporized in Maui a couple weeks ago. And Joe Biden went and talked about how... He lost some fucking curtains. Almost had smoke damage on the roof of his Corvette. <laughs> it's, it's asinine to a level that... If he was aware of what he was doing, I would fault him for it. But he, like, all right, Joe, we're going to send you out there. We're not going to give you any cue cards. Just tell one of your old man stories that everybody loves so much. Just not the Amtrak story, please. Not the Amtrak story, because I don't know how that would. (laughs) So there I was. It was a dark and stormy night on an Amtrak. (laughs) I tried to plug in my cell phone charger. And it sparked and almost lit my hairy legs on fire. I'm sure you'd be surprised to know Joe Biden also took no questions for the entirety of his trip. Oh, of course. Did you Were you able to fact check that quote from the current president? So normally when you type in something such as if I was typing in, for instance, God made man, then he made a few. Firefighters? Well, no, no. Let me, let me go on. A few and your predictive text oh, browser, okay. which is based on... I don't know, maybe things that people fucking look for or things that exist didn't really come up. Basically, the only thing I'm seeing about that, and obviously, if we're missing some sort of old-timey firefighter quote, then I, I apologize. But, I mean, there's when God created firefighters. I see that one. So, again, he completely made it up. Well, I mean, maybe he... I mean, let's give him the devil's advocate here. Maybe he based it on something that he'd heard and just Biden the shit out of it. There will be no devil's advocate, only steak for breakfast. Unless they're deviled eggs. That's how bad it was over in Maui yesterday. Joe Biden went and made the situation worse, if you can imagine that. Guys, listen, we're getting ready to jump in with Colonel Douglas McGregor right now. But before we do that, we're going to hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house our friend alan has got you covered he's launched the patriot cigar company the tobacco is hand-picked in the fields of nicaragua right next to where mike lindell picks his coffee beans cigars are hand rolled each three years you get a promo code steak here you're going to get 15 percent off your total order every order over a hundred dollars free shipping and a ten dollar e-gift card is included with every purchase mypatriotcigars.com that's mypatriotcigars.com a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us first on the show today, he's a retired U.S. Army colonel, combat veteran, SecDec advisor, military analyst, author, one of our great friends, Colonel Douglas McGregor. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Happy to be here. 
Well, I was so pleased yesterday afternoon to be watching the news, bored as usual, with all of the fake debate preview, and then all of a sudden across my Twitter feed, there you are. Uh, you joined Tucker Carlson for an exclusive interview this week. It aired yesterday. I just want to tell you, as we're sitting here on Tuesday morning here on the West Coast, over 5 million views already and trending in the top 20. So congratulations, not for getting the interview, but for getting the words out, Colonel. Well, listen, I owe a debt of gratitude to Tucker because a lot of people don't really want to touch this subject. They're afraid to, either because they don't want to anger the government that is unhappy when the truth comes out, or simply because they don't think most people care. But I hope Americans will listen, because I think this thing is reaching a dangerous point now. And that's the whole thing. Some of the things you alluded to on the Tucker Carlson interview was how close we're nearing zero barrier when it comes to the current conflict in Ukraine. You know, as we're talking right now, F-16s are en route to Greece where Ukrainian pilots are supposedly going to be trained. And Ukraine's fourth, fifth, I, I can't keep up, maybe sixth offensive now is it seems to be failing just as all the other ones did. Based off of what you told Tucker Carlson earlier this week and what you can uh, catch our listenership up to today on Tuesday, Colonel, what's the absolute latest on the ground in Ukraine? Well, the Ukrainians have lost 400,000 dead. Uh, and that's a pretty high number given the fact that this is a little over 18 months of fighting. Uh, we don't know how many have been wounded. I've heard lots of estimates, but we know the hospitals are full, and we know that there are thousands, estimated fifty to 60,000 amputees. They're scraping the, the, the proverbial barrel right now to find people. They're going into the Carpathian Mountains in western Ukraine, down into Odessa, dragging out anybody they can find, anybody between the ages, I would say, of 16 and 60. It's getting rough. And, you know, we really need to stop this stuff because we're the ones pushing them to do it. We think that something or another has, has happened over there that's good for us. You know, if you think that the Russian military is now larger and stronger than it has been since the 1980s, that development is somehow or another good for us? We did it. We provoked it. I mean, the, the Russians are just responding to what we pushed them into. So I hope Americans will wake up and say enough. Plus the fact is, is you, you, we've discussed this before. You know, I, I was, I laughed when I saw this group of Hawaiians that were not very friendly to Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was happy to see somebody wasn't friendly because this, this man, after all the destruction out in Hawaii, the best that he can do is $700 per person in a one-time payment. And we're sending billions to Ukraine. What's wrong with this picture? It, it definitely goes into, uh, you know, looking at things from an America last perspective, which has been the, the, the way that this administration has been from day one. Now, you know, when you talk about Russia and, and the strength that they've gained from this conflict, uh, it, it's no joke. We see the rest of the world withering under global inflation, uh, clogged supply chain, you know, unemployment uh, from you know sea to shining sea gas prices through the roof normal things like food and the ability to take care of your children let's say formula and diapers you can't still find them anywhere and and, and here we are just funneling money into this abyss as you call it so many times and the only people that seem to be getting rich off this besides the russians are all of the oligarchs who control the ukrainian government yeah and i think some of our own oligarchs here in the united states 
Uh, you know, I got to tell you that when you go to Washington right now, nobody sees the world that way. They don't. They don't seem to understand how tough it is out there for the average American. They don't understand inflation. They don't understand the mortgage rates that are up to 10%. Mm-hmm. They don't understand what's happening to the housing market. I mean, if they do, they certainly show no evidence for it. So whenever you talk to them, they say, well, everything's fine. Everything's fine. What's the problem? Well, I suppose if you live in the bubble that is Washington, D.C. and Northern Virginia, everything's fine. But it's not fine anywhere else. No, it certainly isn't. Now, were you surprised to see the Wagner Group showing up in Africa over the last week, Colonel? I know you've you've kept a keen eye on them as well. And, And what exactly are they doing over there right now? I think they've been sent in there to take advantage of our stupidity. Mm-hmm. You know, that Niger is is declared that it's fed up with the French, and they've thrown the French and us out of the country. We are identified with the French. Now, you, we can debate whether, whether or not the French have uh, exploited the people in Africa to the point of ridiculousness. I, I don't know. That may well be the case. I certainly am sympathetic to the people in Niger, and they're being joined by everybody around them all the way up to North Africa to include uh, Algeria. And I think what's happened now is that uh, we we are simply seen as, as this unwanted carbuncle. Wherever we go, we inevitably become a magnet for trouble. We create conflict. We don't create peace and stability. We don't create prosperity. So I think the, the Wagner crowd has been sent in there to help these governments that have thrown the French out and thrown us out to stabilize the place. Now, when you talk about stabilizing the place, is that solely for the government of Niger, or is that also for Russian interests moving forward? Well, I imagine that uh, the Russians aren't going to do anything unless they think there's some payoff. I don't. Uh, so I assume there probably will be. For the moment, I don't. I can't identify it. Although, the, you know, Niger is a, a source for uranium, uh, rare earths, minerals, these kinds of things that can't be found elsewhere. And I'm sure the Russians are happy to fill the void that we've created and the French have created. Yeah, when you talk about filling the void across the world, something else that's not being widely reported anywhere is a historic visit for Chinese President Xi, who landed in South Africa yesterday for a state visit ahead of the you know, uh, meeting for the BRICS nations. What can you tell our listenership uh, about what's going on there and how alarming it is to see them all kind of freely navigating this other economy that they're building contrasted to the one that's currently running the world and uh, plans that China has for places like Africa in the future? Well, you've hit the nail on the head. Uh, the Chinese, the Russians, but principally China, uh, they're working very, very hard to build a new currency that is based on gold. Everything is going to be pegged to gold. Now, I don't know how long it's going to take them to do it, but this, of course, is very frightening to a fiat currency organization like the United States. We went off the gold standard for years so that we could just print money ad nauseum. So this is not good news for us. But there's something else we need to understand. China itself is in terrible trouble. Their, uh, their housing market is imploding. You know, it's back to the ghost cities, buildings with nobody in them, industries with with nothing to produce. Hundreds of millions of Chinese are being told to go home to the countryside because there's nothing for them to do in the big cities. And I don't know if this is true or not, but I, I received a report this morning that the Chinese have, have a nuclear-powered submarine in the Taiwan Straits that's in trouble, that's had an accident. 
The Chinese are not, by any stretch of the imagination, the military juggernaut that we've tried to make them into. I think China is far, far weaker in many, many ways than we appreciate. But of course, you know, there are 1.4 billion of them. And I think Xi wakes up every morning and he has the same fear every night. The whole place is going to fall apart. Yeah. How do you hold 1.4 billion people together? And anybody who thinks that they're trying to expand under those circumstances is crazy. But they're going to join with everybody and anybody. I, I've been hearing uh, probably 84 additional countries in the world are going to join the BRICS. Everybody wants to sign on for this gold peg currency, primarily because they're sick of us. We, we control all the financial institutions. We, we tell people what crops to grow. We tell them what they can and can't do. We punish them. You know, we, we apply sanctions to them. We have sanctions applied to 32 countries. Everybody wants to get out from under that. So how do you do it? Well, you join with Russia and China and India, South Africa and so forth, and Brazil. And I think we're going to see more of this in the years ahead. It's not going to happen overnight, but this will de-dollarize the global economy. Mm, that's so alarming to hear. Colonel, last thing I wanted to touch with you on, I think it was huge. You know, I listened to that interview you did with Tucker Carlson. There was a lot of things that are really important for anyone who's really interested in what's going on in Ukraine, the whole demographic of NATO and what it means for NATO's future, et cetera. But looking forward, I think towards the end of the interview, you really talked about an America last outlook that this current government has had and how it's, you just alluded to, affected the world on a global scale. I want you to touch on that a little bit more and, and just about how bleak of a situation we are looking at here in the United States if we don't get this ship turned around and turned around fast. Well, I, I think that's true. The sad part is that I don't think we can turn the ship around quickly, even if we got rid of all of these people tomorrow morning. And the reason for that is very simple. The damage that's been done to us over decades is very severe. Uh, and this administration has probably doubled down on it in a way that nobody expected them to do. I'm sure you've heard the rumors about COVID uh, lockdowns and maskings and, and restrictions that may be coming in the fall which make no sense, achieved nothing the last time other than to destroy us economically. And then when you look at the situation with the, the Russians, the Russians are actually exercising a lot of restraint. But if we continue to push them and push them unnecessarily, uh, they will respond. And we're not prepared for that at all. And everybody says, well, we've pushed China into Russia's arms. Well, maybe, but I think the Russians and the Chinese have a great relationship. Everything the Russians have, the Chinese need. Energy, resources, food, that's understandable. And the Chinese are not a martial people. They're not highly militarized. They're not looking for somebody to fight. But they're backstopping Russia. And that means that whatever we do, Russia is going to win this round. We better come to terms with that, end this stupidity, and get out of the way. Oh, that's an excellent point there, and I think it's a, it's a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow, but the only people we have to blame is ourselves. But, you know, we, we, we allowed for this to happen, and we have played it the wrong way. And it's like we've talked about several times when you come on the show. Now with F-16s going over there, in addition to everything else that we've already sent over to the conflict, Colonel, how much longer does Vladimir Putin sit back and, and, and continue to do this special operation against historically Russian parts of Ukraine right now and have his servicemen getting killed by U.S. weaponing? 
Well, he hasn't lost uh, on the scale that the Ukrainians have. Sure. We're talking about an exchange uh, rate of 1 to 7 or 1 to 10. So that's good news for the Russians. But I agree with you. I think he is angry and offended. There's no question about that. But this is not an emotional matter. This is about strategic interests and strategic security. He wants this war to end. This is counterproductive to everyone's interests. He's waiting, I think, for the Europeans to wake up. Germany is in a deep recession now. Mm -hmm. They're deindustrialized. This is the juggernaut that holds the European Union together. And everybody says, well, NATO's stronger than it's ever been. Good luck with that one. Because lots of people inside NATO are saying, this is, this is not the train I boarded. This is not going the way I wanted it to go. I didn't join NATO to be dragged into a war with Russia by Washington. We've overplayed our hands. And that's going to become increasingly obvious in the weeks and months ahead. Do you think that this conflict right now is the eventual end or start to the end of the way NATO as we know it? Yeah, I do, because uh, NATO was really designed to be a defensive organization. It was never designed to be used as an offensive instrument. Uh, nobody signed on for that. Nobody wants to. Well, you know, the bad news is we have the Poles who still are somewhat enthusiastic about fighting the Russians, though the popular polling data suggests the population has finally wised up and about 52% of all Poles have said, sure, we'll send more things to the Ukrainians, but we're not going to join the war. And of course, how many millions of Ukrainians do they have living in their countries? We think there are probably 14 million Ukrainians spread all over Europe. Nobody wants more people. It's not that they hate Ukrainians or dislike Ukrainians, but if you're in an economically fragile condition, the last thing you need are lots of refugees who are starving, have nothing, and you can't employ them. Oh, that's it right there. And and, and the way that Europe has completely opened their doors and, and, and in turn destroyed uh, cities and places in, in these countries like the UK and Germany and France that have been there since the inception of the world no longer exists they're no-go zones they've been turned well over. we're not we're not far behind no loose in the southern border yeah we, we certainly aren't flooded the same way yeah we are and it, it, it's a problem that you know needs to get tackled and needs to be addressed soon i just don't know if at this point we have the horses in the race to do it colonel this has been awesome sitting down with you today as it's always is when you join us on steak for breakfast absolutely fascinating talking with you every time you come in and give us a little bit of insight we're going to live link your website in the show description today. If there's anybody that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out? Well, you can also uh, find out about this new organization that I've agreed to be the CEO for. It's called Our Country, Our Choice. And uh, Our Country, Our Choice is not aligned with the Republicans or the Democrats. It's very issue-oriented. It wants to bring in Americans who love the country and are fed up. And it goes back to basics. It says, God, country, and family. That's the start point for everything that we do. And we want people to join us who are interested in reversing the damage in Washington. Washington's swamp is the enemy. That's the problem. That's what we've got to cure. The, the enemy is no longer overseas. We need to stop pretending that. Oh, you make a lot of uh, excellent points there, and we 100% agree with you. We're going to live link our country, our choice, in the show description today as well. Colonel, and we'll look forward to be talking with you again soon. This is retired U.S. Army Colonel. He's done just about everything in regards to national defense. Colonel Douglas McGregor, thanks for joining us on the show. 
Sure. Thank you. Sanders has such a tremendous record to run on. He has such a he has there's so much promise for him, but he is really failing. Uh, like we have seen few politicians with so much going in their direction fail as badly as, as he is failing. Um, he's not he's not very good at politics. It's it's appearing. And if you the, and the biggest tell is when you go after the voters that you're supposed to win over and you attack them and you mock them. You know, we, we've seen Hillary Clinton tried it with the basket of deplorables, as you pointed out. Um, and it didn't work for her. And so he's coming up. Not only is he coming up with something, I don't even know what a listless vessel is, except that it's insulting. And it, the suggestion is that these people are not only all the things that Hillary Clinton thought they were, but they're also stupid and they're getting snookered. What do you make of these comments from Ron DeSantis? I don't know why anyone running for president would put down half of the electorate and identify them, call them listless vessels because they support the former president. And you're right. He and I don't always see eye to eye, but I call it like I see it. Why Ron DeSantis would do that while his numbers are tanking is really beyond me. And this is one of the reasons you're seeing Vivek Ramaswamy and Tim Scott and Nikki Haley. Their numbers are on the rise. They are in the hunt uh, in Iowa, New Hampshire, and then there will be South Carolina but uh, the debate will be very interesting Wednesday night. I hope that all eyes are watching it and paying attention to who's running and how they're running. DeSantis reboot 4.0 is not going so well. We see the CBS national numbers with President Trump leading 62 to 16. The Iowa numbers out this morning have President Trump leading 42 to 19. And DeSantis takes his first opportunity after this big reboot to attack Trump voters with his whole listless vessels comment. And if he's going to be channeling Hillary Clinton, <clears throat> I don't know, maybe he takes another step and following the debate memo his super PAC did, he tries to show emotion by channeling Bill Clinton and has some of the fake tears come down. So that was some commentary thrown the way of polls tanking Florida governor, mm. former presidential hopeful, mm. all what? things Trump, but not Trump. But was he ever? <laughs> Rob DeSantis. Fucking De Rob. DeSantis. Hey, look, it's Rick DeSantis. So I don't know if you guys had... Figured out a way to not hear it by now, but Governor DeSantis pulled a Hillary Clinton-esque moment this weekend in referring to... Oh, I thought a bunch of people got suicided around him. Not yet. The MAGA base as listless vessels? I'm sure Noah's looking that up on the computer right now because like Charlie Hurd alluded to and uh, Jason Miller kind of joked about, I have no idea what that means. Listless vessels? Listless vessels. Something... Like an like empty, vapid, open container? That Ron DeSantis uh, compared Joe Biden to about a year ago. Mm, well, yeah. He also said, uh, you know, the people who blindly follow Donald Trump, if that's even a thing, that's what he compared him to, listless vessels. I'm sure this will be a little bit easier than Joe Biden's story to look up. No, you got a definition on that yet? Listless vessels. Mm. So unless he's talking in a nautical term about vessels. R matey. I'm assuming he's just talking about, you know, the container that people would be uh, compared to, I suppose. How dare but he? But listless would be he, he lacking energy or enthusiasm. How dare he compare my body to a container? Right? <laughs> lacking energy or enthusiasm? I mean, that would be listless. And then listless vessels, I mean, that's not really a common term, I suppose. Okay. Just sounds like it's a weird insult. It certainly is. Do you think it's his basket of deplorables moment? Because a lot of people, especially those in MAGA country, have... 
I think some speechwriter probably thought that was really clever, but I don't think it's going to cause a cascading effect that the deplorables did with the Trump campaign, where everybody's putting that on T-shirts and happily branding themselves as one. Breaking news. The official Donald J. Trump for president website already has proud listless vessel T-shirts ready to go. Really? Yes, for twenty four ninety nine. <laughs> well, I take back my last comment. There you go. If you want to hear the exact content that Rick used, it was from an interview last week where he sat down and was discussing this. They were talking about not only his, you know, plummeting poll numbers, but the fact that he can't scrape any of the MAGA base off into his camp. Let's hear it. We have a strand in our in our party that views supporting Trump as whether you are um, a, a rhino or not. And so you could be the most conservative person since sliced bread unless you're kissing his rear end, they will somehow call you a rhino. So it's been totally detached from principle in what you actually believe and results. And it's more about, you know, just what faction you happen to do. So there'll be people uh, who are huge Trump supporters, like in Congress, who have like incredibly liberal left-wing records that that's really just atrocious. And yet they're viewed as by, by some of these folks as like, as like really, really good. Then you have other people, you know, like a Congressman Chip Roy, who's endorsed me, Congressman Thomas Massey. These guys have records of principle the only fighting the swamp you. that are yeah. second to none. And yet they will be attacked by some of these people and, and called rhinos. Well, he called uh, so it's just been totally detached from any type of substance. And ultimately, a movement can't be about the personality of one individual. The movement has got to be about what are you trying to achieve on behalf of the American people? And that's got to be based in principle. Uh, because if you're not rooted in principle, uh, if all we are is listless vessels that's just mm. supposed to follow, you know, whatever happens to come down the pike on Truth Social every morning, th- that's not going to be a durable movement. We- um, that, that sounded kind of nautical the way that he was he was doing it. Listless vessels are just going to float around and follow. I get it. Still sucks. But but you know, essentially referring to us as brainless, mouth breathing followers of President Trump. Yeah. And then getting all butthurt when the only two congressmen that have endorsed him get called rhinos because they have, you know, championed policies that might align with some of the points of Donald Trump's first term agenda and then Agenda 47. But they've been vehemently against other ones uh, for the entirety of their career since Donald Trump has gotten into politics. And it shows. And I think the thing is, is that you look at people like Chip Soy and and Tom Massey, (laughs) and the thing is... They just think they're smarter than all of us, and, that, and that's where they don't act like the blue-collar politicians, and that's what I dislike about them the most. I mean, even Tom Massey, who's like, you know, has chickens and likes fishing and hunting and, and dresses all homely and stuff, he still acts like, because he's such an intellectual, like the MAGA base kind of, like, disgusts him. When that's essentially what's been driving this party for the last now almost eight years. I think he uses doilies as bobbers when he goes fishing. I mean, he's got the uh, the national debt in real time lapel pin on his jacket. He's just that big of a nerd. Remember, he was the one fanboying when Elon Musk kicked off Rob's presidential debate, and it, after they finally got the Wi-Fi fixed, Thomas Massey was one of the people that came into the space. And instead of talking about Rick kicking off his presidential debate, Tom Massey was talking about how he was a you know a Gen One Tesla owner, and he hack the battery to make it more efficient and stuff. And him and Elon Musk were sitting there back and forth and Rob's sitting there twiddling his thumbs. Uh, uh, the, hack the battery and uh, to, to 
Did, did, did it catch on fire? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's a decent Massey. No, that was Elon Musk. That's even worse. <laughs> that was a horrible Elon Musk. <laughs> that was like a gayer Obama. Oh, Thank you. Listen, guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, I hope you're enjoying it. Whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, please make sure you're subscribed to the show. It helps juice the algorithms. It keeps us in the suggestions. We've had a great couple of weeks of downloads and places in the iTunes Top 100 here lately, and uh, we only expect things to get better as we're bringing in newer listeners every single week. In addition, all of our social medias really need your help there. Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram for as slow as X is building our followership. And for as much as our impressions have been repressed on places like Instagram, we're now at negative 95% from three weeks ago. Yeah, I don't think my scissor me on X is taking a, <laughs> taking a run. Unfortunately, no. it's not catching. It sure isn't. I mean, <laughs> sometimes I tag Elon Musk when he gets on my nerves and I say, I, I literally tagged him the other day and quote tweeted him and tagged him. I hope Donald Trump strips you of your security clearances. I saw that, yeah. But I mean, come on. Here's the thing. It's just bad. You know, I, I, you look at this stuff like Laura Loomer and, and the fact that she's like one of the most impressionable people on Twitter, but she's in the lawful but awful category for the Twitter censorship mob. So she makes $200 every 10 days and someone that has a third or less of her impressions or times that she's trending on Twitter makes like $25,000, $30,000. We need your guys' help. So wherever it is, Twitter, Getter, True Social, Instagram – Follow the accounts, hit the notification bell, and then when you're there, checking out our posts. Remember, our job is to amplify the voice of America First as much as we can. We share everybody's content, everybody's memes, everybody's polls, everybody's posts. Do the same thing for us. Comment, share, like, bookmark, do whatever you need to do uh, to help out the Steak for Breakfast podcast. So... Fox News had a little roundtable, and they were talking about this interesting new strategy for the DeSantis team, which was insulting the Trump base, and I thought it was pretty enjoyable to watch them go back and forth and talk about just a, how bad a point this campaign is doing right now. Uh, let's check it out. For sure, um, Governor DeSantis probably never thought that he would be compared to Hillary Clinton. Let's go to a flashback. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, you name it. Empty vessels. Uh. <laughs> so, Tommy, is this a fair comparison? So I don't think it's a fair comparison to compare anybody to Hillary Clinton. I consider her to be the fourth Sanderson sister, so I think that we just leave it to Halloween when we make comparisons to Hillary. But moving forward on this DeSantis comment, it was... It was not a good comment to make, and I'm sure he is kicking himself, and I'm, I'm sure he wishes he could rephrase it. Now, what I heard him say is maybe a kernel of the truth, and I'll tell you what, I believe he was trying to get across, and he failed at it. I think what he was trying to say is this. I am not a rhino simply because I am running against Donald Trump. I think that's what he wanted to say, and I think further what he wanted to say where he messed up horribly with the listless vessels comment, and it, it rings like a deplorable, is what he should have said is, listen, 
I understand that you follow Trump because you love him and you love his policies and you see what's going on with him and you see the indictments and the sham and the witch hunt. However, we need to look beyond that and just what we're talking about with all of the, the circus of chaos and indictments and understand that we as a movement have to be durable. We have to live beyond Donald Trump and we have to have the America first policies be our bedrock. Now, that's what he should have said. Unfortunately, he did not say it that way, and it's going to hurt him. It's going to bruise him badly. But he has had to walk landmines. He is the only Trump competitor, maybe outside of Mike Pence a little bit, who has had to navigate the MAGA supporter. Because Trump does not attack any of his other competitors the way he attacks Ron DeSantis. Vivek will go on and he will take shots at Trump, but Trump will never take a shot at him because he doesn't see him as a threat. What the Trump campaign did masterfully before DeSantis even announced was labeled him a disloyal Benedict Arnold, rhino, out the gate, and he's been unable to I know, but the that. fact is, when, you, when you're 40% down on the other guy's movement, you need chunks right. of that movement to be competitive and to win. Right. By alienating them this way, that's a, the, basically what Ron DeSantis has done here, and Charlie, you're right, incredible record, incredible family, a smart guy, let's say that as a precursor. But to consign yourself to Chris Christieville this early in the race, I think is a very bad move. It looks to me like it was an unforced error. And, and we'll leave it at that. Unforced error, you be the judge. Yeesh. Also, good luck trying to find that clip on any social media as whenever there's negative press regarding Ron DeSantis, it's almost immediately scrubbed from the interwebs. It's, I mean, how do people not see what's going on? Like the people that... Well, I guess they don't see it because it's gone. That's it. There's Good the normies point. that are that are watching the news. They're reading the newspaper, if that's even still a thing. Is print press even, does that even happen anymore? You know, I enjoy the New York Post every once in a while for the yeah. sports sections. But you have to notice this stuff fucking disappears. Like, mm -hmm. if you happen to catch it somewhere else, or you happen to be watching when it happens, and then you're like, you know, that was actually really embarrassing, or that was actually probably something people would want to know about and then it's just fucking gone yeah what wasn't gone was the demand for an apology which came on the behalf of caroline levitt and maga war room inc to hillary clinton trump supporters are deplorables to ron DeSantis, they are listless vessels the truth is trump supporters are patriots ron DeSantis is showing his true colors the pressure of polling in third place is getting to DeSantis, and now he is lashing out at the very same voters who got him elected governor in Florida. DeSantis must immediately apologize for this disgraceful insult. Caroline Levitt, official spokeswoman for Make America Great Again, Inc. Nice. He has yet to apologize to this point, even though he was given the opportunity to explain himself on Fox News yesterday with Never Trumper and first GOP debate hostress. Martha McGallum. Let's hear I mean, it. His easy out would be to say that it was a nautical reference. Yes. <laughs> Doubt he'll say it here. Tell me a little bit about uh, that comment that you made over the weekend. And we played it in its full context. Uh, I know you felt that in some cases it was taken out of context. But if it was misinterpreted, explain to us what you meant in that. Well, Martha, every Republican voter I've ever come in contact with, whether they're strong for Trump, lukewarm, or anything in between, 
wants us to stand on principle when you get elected or if you're involved in this process. And I think one of the big problems with our party for many, many years is people say they're going to do certain things and then don't end up following through. And so at the end of the day, it's what are we delivering for the people that have put us into office? And in the state of Florida, I can say uh, that I have delivered more for America First principles than anybody else in the country. I mean, we've prohibited the CCP from purchasing land. Uh, we've cracked down on illegal immigration, expanded Second Amendment rights. We got indoctrination uh, out of our schools. We have universal school choice and our crime rates at a 50-year low because we've done things like remove Soros-backed district attorneys. So that, it's about results. And I think what you've had, the people in Congress that I was referring to that have attacked me and tried to say somehow that, that I was a rhino, uh, they're putting entertainment and personality over principle. Uh, our voters want us to stand on principle and fight for them. I didn't hear much of an apology in there, Noah. Mm, no, I think that was basically just go fuck yourself. Yeah. I'm Ron DeSantis. and I, <laughs> I approve this message. He is Mayor Quimby, and he always will be. Listen, you talk about his long list of things that have not been accomplished in Florida. The... Curriculum for school is in courts, as is Disney. We Laura Loomer blew out of the water recently the fact that Ron DeSantis made sweetheart deals with international billionaires who were donating to his campaign and propping him up from the beginning, encouraging him to run against Donald Trump so that when the CCP was stopped for buying land around military bases, that these international companies, which have CCP backing, can just come in and buy the land all around the, the land they're not allowed to buy anyways. Uh, and so on and so forth. You want to talk about Second Amendment, his nickname is Red Flag Ron, and crime is extremely debatable. And when you talk about the migrant stuff, he ships some people to Martha's Vineyard. Aside from that, hasn't really done much to combat illegal immigration, in addition to the fact that he's not really a border state unless you talk about people coming over from Haiti and Cuba, which doesn't really make up a large demographic of those crossing when you look at the totality of the 10 million people that have come in. So as we're getting ready to sit down with Carla Stans, I've got one more clip on this as we're getting ready to put Ron DeSantis to bed just before he puts himself to bed even more tomorrow at the first Republican debate. Uh, let's check it out. Your campaign said uh, the other day that the knives are out for you at that debate. I got to ask you about that. Plus, I got to ask you, I know it's not your campaign, but never back down, put out a, a memo that people are talking about. So I'd like to get your reaction to both. Well, on the memo, it's not mine. I haven't read it. Um, and, and it's just, I think it's something that we, we have in the, uh, put off to the side. But in terms of the debate, look, when you're, I know from the military, the when you're over the target, that. that's when you're taking flack. And if you look really in the last six to nine months, <laughs> I've been more attacked than anybody else. Biden, Harris, the media, the left, other Republican candidates. And there's a reason for that because people know uh, that I'm the biggest threat. So we view it as positive feedback. Thank we'll you. be ready to, uh, to do what we need to do to deliver our message. But we absolutely expect that and we'll be ready for it. And that means punching back. It means, it means yes, it means defending ourselves, but more importantly, showing why we are the leader to get this country turned around. Boring. You know, I really don't like, love the name Ron DeSanctimonious, but when you hear, as you watch in real time, oh, it really is the lawfare that's been waged against Donald Trump and to have Ron DeSantis go up there and say he's the most attacked person in the history of people running for office, it really is a desanctimonious moment right there. Um, I, I do, before we jump in with Carlos Sands, there was a great truth that Donald Trump put out over the weekend. 
No, I don't know if you saw this one, but there was a little bit of a reunion going around down in uh, the ATL. Maybe you've heard of it. Mm. <laughs> Tell me more. Well, I'm going to I'm going to read it as only Donald Trump could post it. How nice, a really beautiful reunion. Three people that I indisputably got elected, two governors and a vice president. <laughs> Brian Kemp of Georgia, Mike Pence of Indiana, and Ron D. Sanctimonious of Florida just met, most likely to talk about the weather or perhaps to discuss how they can stop the weaponization of Georgia law, working with the DOJ and others against their absolutely all-time favorite president, me. <laughs> All three have been just absolutely wonderful, so loyal and nice. It's great to have friends like this. End of truth. Wow. <laughs> you know... That's amazing. When Ron DeSantis makes comments like the last clip we just played, in addition to the fact that he met with Brian Kemp, who is no big fan of Donald Trump, and Mike Pence, who is mad because Donald Trump essentially ended his political career as well, based off of his own choices that he made when he served as the vice president, you can only assume that they're looking to combine their forces and become some sort of lame-ass Voltron or mm, Transformers I was, combiner. I was thinking Voltron. Yeah. But, you know, you don't think 45 is watching, and he always is. If he's not, people are reporting back to him exactly what's going on, especially in cases when you have high-level meetings like that. So that's all we've got on, on the Ron DeSantis pulling a Hillary Clinton-type moment. We're going to be talking about the rest of the candidates that are lining up in the presidential debate when we do a little primary roundup in our next segment. We're about to jump in with Ambassador Carla Sands, but before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, she's the Vice Chair for Energy and Environment at the America First Policy Institute. She's also the former U.S. Ambassador to Denmark, one of our great friends. Ms. Carla Sands, thanks for joining us on the show. Gentlemen, it's so good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Ambassador, it's always a pleasure when we get to host you. Busy news weekend. A lot of stuff not getting covered. We talked about on the show today. We, we began with covering on some of the new revelations into the, you know, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, criminal empire, international crime syndicate, whatever your pronouns for that are. There's a lot of people not covering this outside of maybe Fox News and Newsmax. But the fact of the matter is, is that this is starting to ramp up. Uh, you know, we, we talked this week. Uh, Carla, and, and, and how this is nearing, if not flying past, impeachable offenses here. And I wanted to get a little bit of your take on that. Yeah. So, you know, Kevin McCarthy has a big job ahead of him because I'm sure he's getting pressure from the donors saying, do not impeach. But as a matter of fact, if we're actually going to have rule of law in our country, this man 
has to be impeached because it's not just impeachable offenses. These are criminal offenses. This is, if the facts are all true as they look to be, it's treasonous behavior. And so um, I don't believe that the Republicans have any hope of winning in 2024 without impeaching this corrupt man. Now, when you see Democrats go throughout the Sunday morning news circuit and, you know, almost counter to what you just said, dare Senator Chuck Grassley, Jamie Comer, Jim Jordan and Kevin McCarthy to tie Joe Biden directly to these business dealings. I mean, we saw and have already been able to confirm, you know, through the investigative work that they've done in the House Oversight and through the Judiciary Committee and what's going on with Senator Grassley in the Senate, that Joe Biden had burner phones, that he used an alias uh, in replacement for his government emails uh, during his tenure as vice president. Now, they're daring these Republicans to go and try and tie Joe Biden to this. Do you think there's enough metal in, in, in the House of Republicans right now to go out and do the work that needs to get done to be able to at least get the impeachment inquiry kicked off? Well, when I hear it's a, it's a, it's a brilliant question because when I hear the mainstream Republican elected officials talk, they talk about how they want all the evidence in place. Like they want the perfect case, but let's be clear here. We have the bank records. The whistleblowers have already blown the whistle and blown this wide open and connected Hunter and Joe Biden. All they need are a few things like make sure that Joe was in the room with Hunter, but does it even matter? It doesn't even matter uh, when he extorted uh, the Chinese officials. So um, they need to move forward post haste. When I say I don't think we're going to win elections if the Republicans don't do the right thing and impeach, they have to grow a pair, the boys and girls in the Congress, and they have to actually stand up and jam this through. Because this is, in my opinion, the greatest scandal of any president in the history of our country. This is the most egregious thing to sell out your country to the greatest adversary, communist China. And to sell your energy resources to communist China, to sell out to Russia, our second perhaps greatest adversary, and to sell out to Ukraine where we're pumping billions and billions of dollars and there's all kinds of money laundering going on there. It's one of the most corrupt countries in the world. And we can go on. There are other countries where they were dipping. And so um, they, they must do this quickly because there are other impeachments that have to happen, like Mayorkas, like the, the um, attorney general of the United States. All these people that are doing illegal and unethical things, when they've taken an oath of office to uphold the Constitution, it has to happen, but it has to happen quickly. Nancy Pelosi would already have had this done. Well, I don't disagree with you there. And, uh, you know, when, when you look at it, you, you mentioned uh, Merrick Garland, the current U.S. Attorney General. When you see the way things are shaping up with the special counsel that was assigned to Hunter Biden, they're now in the fifth year of investigating this guy. We've gotten essentially no disposition there. You, you've got the way that the special counsel was assigned to Joe Biden shortly after the Mar-a-Lago raid a year and a half ago. We, we've heard nothing about that. And Donald Trump is about to be arraigned for the fourth time down in court in Georgia this week. I want to talk to you about just the optics there and not only that, but, you know, 
the it, it's more than a two-tier justice system. It, it's definitely multi-tiered and layered. But when you talk about how the Justice Department and how the U.S. Attorney General has refused to do anything against the current president or any members of his family, even though there are lots of receipts that have already been produced, now it's just kind of spider-webbing all those things back to direct connectivity tissue. And we see the way that Donald Trump has had to incur the lawfare that's been waged against him. What can you say about that? Well, I, you know... I can see that there are, like you said, two tiers of justice and perhaps more. And in, in the case of the Bidens, and it goes to other high-level Democrats as well, there's denial of justice by delay. These special counsels, they just make it disappear. And we can see that, um, for instance, Joe Biden is living with his ill-gotten gains. Those houses that he lives in, those aren't paid for by his senatorial salary. Those are paid for by corrupt bribery. And so we have to take those. You take assets from criminals. So let's think about this as a crime. This is like the crime of the century. How do you treat a criminal? Take care of it. And I'm sorry that he's the the, the US president and we'll show him respect as he goes through the process. But the fact is this man belongs in jail. Let's just say it full on. And they have martyred Donald Trump. They have created a martyr of this man by treating him so unethically, even from before day one with Hillary Clinton making, a, you know, a um, a sort of a scheme behind his back and the White House and the IC community understanding about it, but not doing anything and then spying on him in his White House. As you go on through this, it is the biggest scandal of our country's history. And I hope that we we last through it. We must bring back the rule of law with equal justice. That's why he has to be impeached, but it's a criminal offense as well. But we're not gonna be able to hold him accountable crim criminally until we have a Republican-led uh, White House. Do you think these this lawfare that's being waged against President Trump right now has to do with the New York Times polls that have showed for now four weeks in a row, him and Joe Biden essentially tied for the general election race in 2024. In addition to that, I saw a poll this weekend that there hasn't been much of a moving of the needle either. Over 50% of the country still believes that these things that are happening to President Trump, especially with the, the legal issues, are 100% partisan and, and being used against him simply because he's eventually going to be the Republican nominee. They've never taken their foot off the gas going after this guy. They never stopped. And did you notice every time a, a Biden scandal happens, the next day there's another indictment dropping and they're trying to fill the news cycle with bad, Trump bad news so that they don't have to talk about the Biden family corruption. And there's one poll I saw that had Trump up seven over Biden and another had him up even more. So Trump has momentum and the people whose eyes are open, they can see the injustice and it only makes him stronger. I just I pray for him every day for strength because I can't imagine the onslaught of this unfair warfare. But I think if there's one thing that your listeners could do, it would be to get active and not just sit by and let this happen, but actually they are the force multiplier. They have their cell phone. It's a powerful weapon because they can push out the truth and information, share it digitally. They can talk to their friends, coworkers, neighbors. We have to be the force multiplier for the good in our country. And then they can run for office, whether it's going to precinctstrategy.com and running for their precinct committee man, or maybe running for school board or running for a local um, office, because we have to 
change the country. We're in trouble as a nation because of the, I will just call it evil leaders. And they're not just evil, they're feckless too. And you can see that with the um, the wars around the world. So we need great leaders. I, I'm supporting uh, President Trump in the 2024 election because no one in my lifetime had better policies than he did. And so I'm supporting him, but whoever you're supporting, um, we really need to get the voice out there about what's happening, but also possibility where we can turn this around and bring back things like prosperity and good regulations and energy independence and even bring back, bring about energy dominance. No, that was a good thing you mentioned about regardless of who your horse is in the race for next year's election, it's time to kind of unify and come together for you know, one common good, and that's defeating the current regime that's up in Washington, D.C. I thought it was also great that you highlighted that they are evil leaders. They have sat back and watched the borders bust open, the infrastructure of this country collapse, uh, you know, the economy absolutely implode, and then geopolitically we've lost all of our footing and more that we had uh, when Donald Trump took office back in 2016. The last thing I want to touch with you on, Ambassador, I think it's really important in the big scheme of things, but not really when you look at it in the in the terms of the general election race. We're getting ready to see the first presidential primary debate tomorrow. Donald Trump will not be participating. Instead, he'll be doing some counter-programming with Tucker Carlson, an exclusive interview there that we'll be taking a look at on our Friday edition of the show. But listen, a lot of the people who are going to be on that debate stage tomorrow, you know throughout your course of years of service, you know, you've rubbed elbows with them. There are some ambassadors, governors, current and former senators, people that are some of the biggest business elites in the world, etc. Now, this is a bunch of people who are fighting over the scraps left of like the 15% amongst them that Donald Trump hasn't already been able to uh, gobble up in this primary season. When you see the people there, I don't even see a potential vice presidential contender in there, but as you're watching kind of the rest of the fake primary race unfold underneath Donald Trump's uh, huge lead in the primary, what are you looking at when you see some of these people out there? Why are they all in this race? Why aren't some people reluctant to already get out even when the poll numbers show there's no path to victory? And what does it mean for the process of politics in this country for us to still go through the motions like having debates and stuff like that? Well, normally I would be all for this debate, but because we have a former president running and we saw what happened in 2020 where, you know, you could say things were rigged. Um, I think that for me, the primary is over. That's my me personally. And I do believe that pulling resources away to other minor candidates is a waste of resources and resources aren't unlimited. And it already, I believe I heard there's $2 billion in dark money uh, they have pulled together to support the Democrat candidate. I'm not even sure it's going to be Joe Biden, but let's talk about our, our um, group. Most of them are good people, I think. Some of them have ideas that are important to them. They want to share. I respect that. Some of them, I think, were pushed or prodded by the donors saying, we want to take Trump out, so we want you to run. Um, and some just probably don't like him. And that, I mean, that's not a reason to run, but I, I, from what I hear some of them saying, it sounds like that's their goal is just to, to take him out as a, as a, as a person and a, and a candidate, uh, Trump that is. So will I watch the debate? I probably won't. I'll probably watch the Tucker, uh, hit because I'm a huge fan of Tucker. I stopped watching Fox when Tucker, um, left because sure. he was such a great voice. And, um, I, I think that 
I don't think there is a vice president in that group. At one time, I would have thought so, but just you, know, you can kind of get the measure of these people as they go along. But they, I think they also wanted a chance to show who they are, and they didn't get a chance in 2020 because we had a, a sitting president running. So, you know, being out of the game for eight years is probably hard for some people that that have an itching to, to run. No, that's a good point. And I think when, uh, you know, it's kind of like the Olympics, you, you can't just take an entire cycle off because, you know, then you're 12 years in from the first time you compete. Well, it's and, a long time. Yeah, it is. Actually, when you're my age. <laughs> stop. I just want to let all of our listenership know Ambassador Sands is one of the most beautiful guests that we regularly host here on the show. We're always happy to have her. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it just goes to say, uh, you know, these people are going to be able to get their voices out and they're going to be able to kind of you know, argue amongst each other in, in, in what a debate setting is currently, you know, set up for. But I don't really think we're seeing anybody that's going to be making any fireworks equivalent to being able to chip into Donald Trump's lead as, as we feel the same way as you do, Ambassador, that this primary season is already over. And at some point in the near future, hopefully we'll get a little bit more realization of, of just how important it is after this first debate. It's time to start unifying behind Donald Trump and it's time to get Joe Biden out of the White House. We're going to live link the America First Policy Institute in the show description today, as well as your website. Is there anywhere else or your social media handles you want us to live link as well? Sure, I'd love it. So um, I'm on Twitter or now X at Carla H. Sands on Instagram, Carla Sands, Facebook, Carla Sands. And, um, you know, I, I just, oh, I started a 501c4 called Fix Pennsylvania. I'm going to register conservative voters. Nice. So that's that's exciting. And then America First Policy Institute is starting a state chapter in every single state in the United States. They're starting with 19 states. Florida's already open. So that's exciting. And they have 22 policy centers with, um, you know, an emphasis on whatever you're interested in. They're going to have something for you. So please check it out. Well, we certainly will, and we'll live link all that in the show today. She's doing some amazing work right now at the America First Policy Institute. She did even better work when she was our ambassador to Denmark that served during the Trump administration. Ms. Carla Sands, thanks for joining us today on the show. Thank you, gentlemen. Nice to talk to you. You conducted a focus group uh, recently, and you did so with uh, Biden supporters, mostly people of color or exclusively people of color? All people of color. All people of color. And I just want to put some of the adjectives used by the people you spoke with discouraged, pathetic, pessimistic, the lowest it's been. You know, Dana, what we're finding in these focus groups and the reason we are laser focused on young voters and, and, and voters of color is because what we've learned is that when the president's approval rating drops by two or three points nationally, it's because it's dropped by 10 or 20 points amongst his base. And that base of young people, of people of color, are, are growing frustrated with a lack of perceived progress. Even though President Trump is kicking everyone's ass in the primary polls. We're still trying to set him up with our bullshit Republican primary debate. I mean, maybe he'll show up. And we're just hoping everyone takes shots at him so we can help Ron DeSantis. Because we're Fox News. And we suck. And we don't really give a shit. About our viewers' opinion. We only care about getting a big, fat paycheck. And about not getting fired like Tucker Carlson. The first Republican primary debate by Martha McCallum and Brett Bayer. Because we're Fox News and we suck. So those were some of the colorful sounds, pun intended, mm. heading into our third news segment where we're going to play a little presidential primary roundup. <laughs> now, Noah, you know it's funny to hear the memes that were made about the Fox News debate and the lack of enthusiasm now that Donald Trump has confirmed that he'll be doing a sit-down interview with Tucker Carlson, airing at the same time as the debate is counter-programming. Oh, they're going to be so mad. 
But when you hear fake news, Dana Bash, in, in the first clip we played to kick off this segment, talk about a poll that was conducted amongst minorities throughout the United States and the colorful language that was used to illustrate how they feel this administration has done, specifically Joe Biden, it's got to be pretty worrisome. What, people chanting, fuck Joe Biden? Well, they said absolute disaster. This is the lowest of the low. Oh, you mean their commentary, not just general people's commentary. Well, that's some of the people that they polled, keywords that they used to describe it. Yeah. And I call it an it because, you know, it's the dumpster flowing down the river. On fire. Yeah. Full of actual garbage and with Joe, human shit. Joe Biden sleeping in it. <laughs> Apparently he can sleep anywhere. True story. Believe it or not, the ground in Maui is still pretty hot. It's weird. I mean, it is Hawaii. What could we say about previewing this debate as we're going through the primary season and previewing the general election race when you see how bad everything that's going on with the current administration is going and the frustration level that's rising with the America First congressmen who are waiting for next year's general election as well? We're going to have Florida Representative Corey Mills join us at the end of this segment. And I'm pretty sure you're going to be fired up to hear all the great stuff that he's got to say. But when you look at this right now, you know, the presidential debate that's going to happen tomorrow night, that doesn't include Donald Trump. It's literally the candidates that are on stage fighting over the scraps that Donald Trump hasn't already been able to scoop up yet. And people trying to convince you that these are the only candidates that are on the table. You don't think so. Let's take a look at some of the polls. One of the ones that, that really uh, raised my eyebrows a little bit, a majority of caucus goers who could be persuaded to change their mind, but Trump supporters are still the most. So right now you've got, out of all caucus goers, 40% are, are already deciding on voting for Donald Trump, and that makes up 66% of all Trump supporters. So of all the people that are going to eventually vote for Donald Trump, nearly 70% of them are already firm in not being able to choose or thinking outside of, of looking at any other candidates as far as the caucus goes down in Iowa. That corresponds directly with some of the polls that came out. Uh, you know, and, and when you talk about the newest one from Iowa, which of the following Republicans would be your first choice for president? Donald Trump, 42%. Ron DeSantis, 19%. Tim Scott, 9%. Nikki Haley, 6%. Mike Pence, 6%. Everybody else, who cares? <laughs> it just goes to show you that when you're starting to look at these numbers, it doesn't matter whether you're looking at general election head-to-head, uh, an aggregate of the Republican primary, you know, first five debates, or looking nationwide, and, and, and some of these other polls that are more specific, like the Iowa caucus one, and the people that are already saying, I'm in for Trump no matter what, all of those numbers are kind of in the same general area. Right now, it's between 40 and 60%. So, and when you look at how many people are still in this race... It goes to show you that the little pieces of chunks that they've all split between them, it's not really going to change much. And I think the shift in numbers is going to come from amongst them and not take away from Donald Trump's overall lead in the Republican primary so far. What do you feel about that, Noah? Yeah, there's nothing that's going to detract from the power that Trump has over every single one of these candidates. There's there's no way that you're going to be able to convince anybody otherwise. There's no way you're going to be able to just fluff up these debates as these these are the guys that actually matter. Nobody believes it. It's 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 done. It, it certainly is. And you know, according to the Republican National Committee, they put out a statement yesterday uh, announcing who would be on the debate stage Wednesday night. And I'm going to read the official press release today. The Republican National Committee, the National Republican Chairwoman. 
Ronald McDaniel announced the below Republican primary candidates that have met the RNC's criteria and will participate in the first Republican primary debate in Milwaukee on Wednesday, August 23rd. And this is listed in alphabetical order, not based off any polls or anything. North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, former Governor Chris Christie, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Ambassador Nikki Haley, former Governor Ada Hutchinson, Vice President Mike Pence, businessman Vivek Ramaswamy, and current Senator Tim Scott. Some of the notables who on social media over the last couple days have claimed that they've met the threshold and expected to be on the stage in Milwaukee tomorrow were Miami Mayor Suarez, former gubernatorial candidate from California and radio host Larry Elder, and steak for breakfast enjoyer, uh, entrepreneur and businessman Perry Johnson. And right now, I know that some of these campaigns, especially Perry Johnson's, is taking his argument to court. However, I don't feel in this 11th hour that it's going to do much except maybe show that the RNC at some point was wrong. And some of the information that I've heard directly is that some of the polls that people like Larry Elder and Perry Johnson presented as ones were showed they had 1% nationally have issues with the RNC looks at in regards to the way that they weight the polls. I guess that kind of goes into the equation, doesn't show a true 1%. In some instances, I guess some of those 1% are within the margin of error. Therefore, the RNC chose to not have them on the debate stage. I feel like moving forward, the first debate would have been the only debate where you have a complete Royal Rumble of candidates. If you want to have all 13 people up there, whether or not they met the criteria, this is the debate for it because all it would do is service those candidates who are registering nationally at the lowest to make some kind of headway on the debate stage to increase their chances of making it to the second debate moving forward. But by eliminating people like Larry Elder and Perry Johnson from the debate stage in the first debate, I think it kind of harms the overall process in the fake primary that's going on right now and underneath the one that Donald Trump is continuously dominating over for the entirety of this primary season. So do you think it's kind of... uh, a loss for at least people that are going to be able to dunk on Ron DeSantis, Noah, if they don't let everybody in for at least the first debate? Yeah, I don't know why you would you would constrict the the amount of people that are able to jump in on that and be part of it. I, I don't understand why they would think that was a good idea. It, I mean, let everybody have their shot. And, and what's the thing? You know, also, it's, it goes into, say, why do they have to change the debate rules every couple years? You know, every time there's a new presidential election, it seems like they're tinkering with the rules. Why don't they just have rules? Like, yeah, what kind of rules are they changing? You know, they, they, they went from, well, there's the unity pledge, which is sometimes oh, yeah. stupid. The 1%, did it need to be higher, lower? Did it need to be more focused on certain states, like maybe the first five battlegrounds or nationally? And then there's the individual donors. You know, there's people that are going to be on the debate stage tomorrow that told people, if you donate $1 to my campaign, I'll give you a $20 gift card. And there's people who went out and organically campaigned and met the threshold for money, but might not have met the threshold for polling and, and did it the, the way you're supposed to do it. Somebody actually did that, a dollar for 20 There were, There was a couple people who were giving away gift cards uh, to sign up for their campaign. What is this, the fucking election? <laughs> not yet. Maybe a preview of it. There's also been some reports that You know, the delegation of uh, Trump support that's being sent to Milwaukee to represent the 45th president on the floor 
during the debate, obviously not on the debate stage, but to have a presence which is, you know, led by Florida Congressman Byron Donalds, people like Carrie Lake, uh, and some other surrogates. Now it's being rumored that Fox News is going to give them limited access because they're mad Donald Trump decided to skip this one. Again, and a reminder to everybody, Donald Trump skipped the first debate back in 2016 as well, and it seemed like he did fine getting the nomination at the end of the day. Yeah, I don't think him skipping this one's going to cause any issues whatsoever. Well, I hope you're buckled up for some cringe and got that garrison button warmed up because we've got a heaping helping of people that don't really matter in the big scheme of things coming down the pike. And I can't think of anything bigger than what went down last night online. I know you probably didn't see it, Noah, but are very excited to hear about the absolute heater of an online town hall hosted by Never Trump Congressman Adam Kinzinger. Mm. I'm sorry, former congressman. And the round mound of rebound, Chris Christie. Wow. Yeah. Is that a new one? So you want to talk about all-time lowest ratings in the history of online. So here's here's the thing. I watched it for, I watched about 80% of it. Never at one time did the people online go above 6,000 people. <laughs> and you'll hear by the end of this clip, they were literally pandering to Democrats and independents to please vote for Chris Christie just so he can continue to rise in the polls and attempt at some point during this primary process to be able to take shots at Donald Trump. He's going to rise in the pizza rolls. Oh, boy. You ready for this one? Let's hear it. What role you see for disaffected Republicans, for independents, for Democrats, folks who may not think that the GOP primary is for them, but they're, they're desperate to see somebody who tells the truth. And they're desperate to defend this country. Do they have to wait for November to make a difference, or is there something they can do now? No, depending upon what your state you're in and the rules of those states, you don't have to wait. Um, if you care deeply, especially because there's not going to be a Democratic primary of, of any import um, in this race. Uh, I think Joe Biden, absent something very odd happening, um, will be the runaway Democratic nominee for president. What I want to do is speak to the whole country. There's no way that we can unite this country once again the way it needs to be united. Adam, if we don't here, first and foremost <laughs> talk to the entire country. So in places like New Hampshire, if you're a, a dispirited Republican, you obviously can vote in our primary and make a difference. If you're an independent and you decide you want to have that influence on who the Republican candidate will be, it's an open primary. You can show up on Election Day in primary election day and vote in the primary. Same thing in South Carolina and same thing in Nevada. So in three out of the first four races, people who really care about our country mm -hmm. and want to try to unite our country and bring them together behind principles of truth and law and order and rule of law um, are going to have the opportunity to do that. Now, when you hear Chris Christie begging and basically laying out the groundwork to have Democrat and independent voters who are allowed to go and vote in the primaries for whoever they want, post an anti-Trump vote, which is a vote for Chris Christie. Mm. How does that make you feel, Noah? Gross. Hungry? Like maybe not hungry, but like... Peckish? Maybe like I ate too much, but I'm still going to eat more. You're going to finish <laughs> off that whole pizza and... <laughs> I think the most disturbing, disturbing Chris Christie video I saw was at some sporting event. And he's double-fisting, like, the biggest pile of nachos and looking like like Humpty Dumpty leaning over the wall, just, like, in this guy's face. Mm -hmm. 
That guy's so weird. He certainly is. He's a fat piece of shit, too. I <laughs> just want to put that out there for our listenership. We kind of skirt around it every once in a while, but let's call it like it is. He is sloppy Chris Christie for a reason. So there was a town hall-a-thon on one of the cable networks yesterday. They hosted people like Ambassador Nikki Haley and Senator Tim Scott. They were able to touch on with an interactive audience some of their non-policy points that they've put out already. They use a lot of keywords and phrases that allow them to navigate this fake primary season without doing anything that goes against America first, which would lead to them getting dunked on by Donald Trump harder than he already has. And he stayed off of those two, uh, you know, pretty significantly to this point. Believe it or not, because he's made it like the crown jewel of his entire campaign right now, Tim Scott was talking about race and its factor into his race as he Mm. tries to secure some points in the uh, presidential primary season. Let's hear him. Think about it. Place where the Civil War starts, I'm in a Republican primary with 90% of the voters who are white. They had a choice between me and the son of Strom Thurmond, a powerful figure in our state. I won because of the evolution of the American heart. People judged me on the content of my character, not the color of my skin. We need to get that right and tell the whole story of American progress. That's why I'm so excited to go on shows like The View or have my, one of my first town halls in a black church in a small town. I want people to understand that conservatism works. It doesn't work for the rich. It doesn't work for the poor. It doesn't work for the black. It doesn't work for the white. It works for America because we're applying judicial Christian foundations and principles. And when they permeate the soils of our land, mm. the greatest things happen. Related to that. No, no, be completely honest with me. Permeating soils? Stop it. We're not talking about Joe Biden's diapers. (laughs) Here's the thing. At this point in our nation's progress, progress, or lack thereof for the last two and a half years, Mm -hmm. statewide and national level races, I'm talking senator, governor, and for things like president of the United States, high-ranking cabinet positions, joint chiefs, etc., Take all of the stupid-ass DEI out of it, out of the equation. It doesn't exist. I'd love to. Do you honestly go to the ballot box on election day and vote for somebody based off the content of their character or the color of their skin? Do I? You. Personally. Well, the content of their character. Of course. If they're not a piece of shit. That's just how I go about life in general. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. If you're a piece of shit, you're a piece of shit. Exactly. When you see somebody like a Vivek Ramaswamy, who we're going to hear from in just a bit, or a Nikki Haley, who's of you know Indian descent, uh, Senator Tim Scott, who's an African American, etc. Doesn't matter. Does it absolutely? Why keep talking about this and trying to make it a focal point of your campaign when it's like your congressional record and what you plan on doing with that record moving forward? That should be the things that actually make a difference. I mean, if you are the, the quote unquote person of color or whatever you want to call it, that is running, you have to address it because it is to a lot of people. It is a voting point, but and should it be? No, no. But at the same time, I don't blame them for mentioning it. Even at this part in the race where we're nine, 10 months into it now. No, I know. But I mean, 
it's it's just one of those things you got to cover all the bases. Does it help Tim Scott to go up on the debate stage and, and, and talk about how he's like essentially because Larry Elder did not make it the only African American up there, and when he chose to run in a place where the Civil War was, you know, this that and the other thing, and Strom Thurmond's son was running against him, it was it was critical that the people didn't see race in South Carolina, which vaulted him into the Senate, or was it the fact that he ran a good campaign and his policies identified with the people who actually lived there, and that's why they put him there? Well, I would like that answer better, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So just more pandering, and we're going to hear from Ambassador Nikki Haley right now, and you're going to hear some of the exact same stuff. She can't complete a sentence since her campaign is kicked off without saying China and Russia, and here is her frothing at the mouth mm. talking about the military-industrial complex. Let's check it out. And so what we need to do with that is it's not that you just throw money at the Department of Defense. That's not the answer. The Department of Defense is bloated, too. You pull down that bureaucracy. You get the slowness out. They have to stop playing favorites with defense companies. And you focus on making sure the military have the equipment to make them safe. I visited um, a company, Sig Sauer, in New Hampshire recently. They just came out with the first modern handgun for our military men and women in decades. Why does it take that long? So our focus needs to be prioritizing on how we can make sure that our military knows that they have everything they need to be the strongest fighting force in the world. Military industrial complex goes Bert. Bert. <laughs> Nothing new from the former ambassador and governor there. Uh, what is new, especially if you're joining us for the first time today, is probably how much you're enjoying the show. Wherever you're listening Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, subscribe to the show. Give it a five-star rating. Share it with your friends. Share our posts on social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast account and hit the notification bell. Helps us out very much, and we can't thank everyone that's been interacting with us uh, for the past several months helping make steak great again. So, you know, we're going to talk about a couple polls here. I've got, uh, we've already touched on the Iowa one. Let's see, I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw a New Hampshire one today as well. And it's a lot of the same. You know, Donald Trump's not participating in this first debate, and, and there's a reason for it. it. It's because he's absolutely dominating. The new New Hampshire poll, which came out this morning, this is an echelon poll. Trump, 34%. Christie, 14%. <laughs> Hang on, I'm not and done. that's not body fat. Hang on, I'm not done. Ramaswamy, 11%. Ooh. DeSantis, 9%. <laughs> Nine. That means no in German. That means fourth. <laughs> Every single person from the DeSantis team who whose posts got into my Twitter feed over the last 24 hours, I just quoted it and said, this is what a fourth place tweet looks like. <laughs> Any response? Coping and seething. So now it's when I go to, whenever I do something uh, that, you know, negatively reflects the way the can campaign for DeSantis is being ran, I see like 40 comments. This is from an account you muted. This is from an account you muted. Oh, it just shows you like a blank Yeah, thing? like a blank bubble. So I don't really... Blocking so, Do you ever want to unmute them and just like... Sometimes see, I do and then I laugh at what they say. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be really fun when Donald Trump's tweeting like this from jail. Good one. What, so somebody's going to keister a phone for him? <laughs> so not looking too good in New Hampshire with Ron DeSantis... In fourth place, and Tim Scott vaulting Mike Pence with 7%, now only 2% behind DeSantis. Realistically speaking, when does Ron DeSantis bow out? We'll see how or bad. Or would he? We'll, we'll, I, I, mean, don't, I don't think he would. I think he will just ride this fucking... The donors need to get paid. 
Yeah, he's going to ride this freaking, like, the bomb from Dr. Strangelove all the way down the chute. The consultants need to get paid is more like it. Uh, another echelon poll, which also showed Iowa, Donald Trump, 33%, Ron DeSantis, 17%. That gives Donald Trump a 16-point advantage. Tim Scott at 13, Ramaswamy at 8, Christie at 4, then best of the rest. Um, let's see, South Carolina, Trump holds a 33-point lead for Republicans in the nomination. This is an American Wire poll from yesterday. Trump, 46, DeSantis, 13, Scott, 9, Haley, 7, Christie, 4, Ramaswamy, 3, and then best of the rest. You want to talk about national or general election polls? We'll do RCP average. So Donald Trump, 55.9%. That's a 42-point advantage right there. Ron DeSantis at 14, Ramaswamy at 7, Pence at 4, Haley, 3, Christie, 3, Scott, 3, and everyone else at 0 point something. RCP also shows Donald Trump with considerable margins in in all of the first three primary states with Iowa at 43% over DeSantis at 17 in New Hampshire, 44% with DeSantis at 13 and in South Carolina. Donald Trump is at 45.7% and Ron DeSantis is circle in the drain at 15%. Mm. You want to talk about the people who really have something invested in this, the detected odds, the Vegas odds, the people that invest money on actual horses in the race right now. I feel like those ones are the most honest because there's so, there's so much more at stake than, well, you know, the future of the country. But. You want to know how much was at stake for Ron DeSantis? In December, he was at 52.6%. He was up 10 points on Donald Trump. January, 43.2%. March, 35.5%. Beginning of July, 13.5%. End of July, 9.8%. Now he sits at 7 0.4% on the Vegas odds. Donald Trump stands at a commanding lead, 68.1%. Vivek Ramaswamy is in second at 135 nearly doubling Ron DeSantis, uh, you know, where the betters bet. So I, I think some of the biggest lefties should put their money where their mouth is. Sure. And just vote against Trump on Vegas odds. And then do those numbers reflect what, the pollsters are looking at on a national level, pretty much so. Not with with such a commanding lead, but you know Donald Trump is at sixty eight percent for the Vegas odds in the RCP general election. He's at fifty five percent right now. So, you know what can you say other than Donald Trump continues to dominate? I don't think it's going to switch much of his numbers uh, after the first debate because everybody's going to number one, be anticipating him jumping in there for the second one. And number two, talking about how the best of the rest kind of beat each other up. Listen, if Fox news, like Ronald McDaniel said on Friday, and, and we got a lot of good feedback from our listenership, anyone who decided to comment on that interview and said they were actually surprised at the fact that she would sounded honest and truthful and didn't skirt from answering the questions, but the way we handled it was in a respectful manner that, which probably garnered those answers. She said it straight up. She has advised the Fox News executives to not turn this into watching clips of Donald Trump, having them commentate on it, and then having groups of people raising their hand. Who thinks Donald Trump was bad with this? Who thinks Donald Trump was good with this? You know, it, what kind of a debate is that? None of these people that are campaigning right now underneath Donald Trump have put out any kind of policy platform. Fox News needs to hold them accountable for that and start asking them questions on what they're running on. It can't be that Nikki Haley's running as the only woman. You know, it, it can't be that Chris Christie's running as the only fat ass. Uh, we have to have some kind of policy platform here. What is your stance on the border? Saying you're going to close it immediately and, and build a wall is not a border policy. Well, Chris Christie's going to be the only one who shows up with a funnel cake. True story. He's going to have the white ring around his mouth. It's not going to be Coke, surprisingly. Mm. 
you know, you can't say that your foreign policy is Russia, China, China, Russia, and, and saying it over again. You know, that's not foreign policy. You can't say that fixing the economy is getting rid of binomics. How do you bring everything down, the prices of it? And what geopolitical allies and foes are you going to start holding accountable? You know, those are all questions that need to be asked. Those are all questions that probably won't even be covered on Fox News. But, you know, as we're getting ready to round up here and jump in with Corey Mills, I saw Vivek was on. He was actually talking on his stance on Ukraine. It's very unpopular because it kind of aligns up with Donald Trump's. And uh, CNN and Fox News have been trying to hold him to account with Getches on it. Let's check it out. Vivek, one of the reasons um, that I've been very intrigued by your campaign is you often say things that nobody else is talking about. And so, yes, uh, the, the two standards of justice is critically important um, to Americans who are watching us right now and, and across the country, but also the implications. This is more than just a family who's trying to make money. There are real policy uh, implications to this kind of extortion that potentially Zelensky, the Ukraine government, may have over Joe Biden and may be responsible for billions of dollars that we're sending over there. But more importantly, we're inching closer to nuclear war um, as, this war as this war continues. And as you say, nobody has given us a real explanation as to why this is in our interest. They want to say it's the greatest war in the history of wars. Exactly. And I think that Hunter Biden, it's worth remembering, this guy is not just some fringe corrupt son of a U.S. president. He has been a geopolitical disaster. Yep. Remember that an investigation into Hunter Biden, potentially in Ukraine, that was already the basis for the second impeachment of the 45th president of the United States. But now the very country whose state-affiliated company was making a bribe to Hunter Biden, putting him on the board of a company where Hunter Biden had no business being on that board, that is the very country now receiving $200 billion in U.S. military and financial aid in the middle of a war, marching us closer, I worry, to nuclear war with Russia. This has real geopolitical implications. That is currently beyond the pale of any Republicans, even many Republicans, to ask out loud. But I think it is the heart of the question when the U.S. president is sending aid to a foreign country where his own family was part of a bribe from that same foreign country. If the same shoe fit the other foot and this had been uh, Republicans or anybody else in charge, we'd be asking the questions. We should be here, too. Not a bad answer. Really didn't give any kind of insight onto what his geopolitical strategy would be into solving uh, getting to the end of the war in Ukraine. But it, he did kind of point out that one of the reasons we're probably in this absolute fucking disaster is because of Joe Biden, his dirtbag son, and their business dealings. Yep. Now, Noah, I want to ask you a question. There, there's been some reports coming out over the weekend that says Vivek Ramaswamy is only in this race to derail Ron DeSantis from his campaign. That would also align up with the fact that, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy's pseudo running, not alongside Donald Trump, but for him to make sure that he's guaranteed the nomination. Now, there's not a bigger landing pad in America first for anybody in Trump world other than here on Steak for Breakfast, and I've asked around, and from every single person I've touched base with, I can't find that that statement is anything further from the truth. What do you think? I mean, would Vivek be in there just to derail Ron DeSantis completely? I don't know. I think he genuinely wants to do good things for America. Yeah, it just seems like he's he's putting out stuff that's really not helping Ron DeSantis or helping Trump. It's just kind of he's doing his own thing, but... I mean, if I was a candidate, I'd be trying to do my own thing, too. Make a name for himself. Yeah. I mean, he's already an international entrepreneur and a billionaire. And the fact of the matter is we, we have heard from 
some members of the consulting class that Vivek said he'd entertain a cabinet position or, or a VP pick. But the thing is, he's doing the right thing, and he's adamantly denying that because that's not how you run a race for the office you said you want to run for. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a little bit of an uh, integrity there, and I like the fact that he's strong in his convictions and calls other people out when they try to twist his words and this, that, and the other thing. But, you know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. We'll, I do like the way he's running. We're going to have a lot more answers after Wednesday. Yeah. And uh, we'll be breaking it down on our Friday edition of the show. But as far as today goes, and then our last audio clip of the day, nobody likes coping and seething from the other side of the aisle more than we do here on Steak for Breakfast. And just watching the CNN panel melt down at the numbers that Donald Trump has been garnering here in the primary season and what some of these general election polls are starting to shape up like. It's beautiful. I'm not going to ruin it, but let's check it out. Trump's lead is even larger. So these are three polls that were out over the last week. Look at these leads for Donald Trump. He's at 62% in the CBS News YouGov poll, 57% in Quinnipiac University, 53% in the Fox News poll. Look at where DeSantis is in all these polls. Look how far back he is. He doesn't crack Look 20% in any boy. of them. So in Iowa, you have that 20-plus point lead for Donald Trump. That's actually smaller than the lead we see nationally, where we see these leads of, 35, 40, near 50 points in this particular case. Of course, the primary is one thing. If Trump wins the primary, can he go on and win the general election? And we've had three polls that have come out over the last week here. And I want you to take a look at how close this race is at this particular point. Granted, the general election is over a year away. The largest lead for Joe Biden is just three points within the margin of error. No clear leader. Look at these. One point. One point. If you go back at where we were at this point four years ago, Joe Biden's lead was high single digits to low double digits. This is significantly closer than where we were four years ago. So this idea that Donald Trump can't win the general election, I want you to lose that idea. This race is very, very close. And Donald Trump is polling better right now than basically at any point during the entire 2020 cycle. After four indictments. After four indictments. It just doesn't really seem to matter. That's fascinating. It is That's fascinating. fascinating. <laughs> Man, they must have the barf bags on hand oh over there gosh. at CNN. It was not a good Sunday morning for them. You know, when you see the largest leads in the polls uh, at CBS – where Donald Trump's up nearly 60 points on Ron DeSantis. That's probably Fox News had him at the closest margin, of course, because Ron DeSantis is an employee of Fox News and will be you know, a regular commentator on their shows when he decides to abandon his campaign. But CBS News had him at almost 60%. That's probably the, the most left-leaning poll of them all. God, that would be such a boring commentary for him. Mm. Welcome to Meatball Weekly. <laughs> Meat sweats. Oh, God. Yeah. Listen, and again... Shame on anyone that's hyping up this presidential debate as anything relevant, as CNN so elegantly pointed out right there in their last clip. And and I want to just add, you have to be able to really praise the amount of discipline that the Trump campaign has been able to, you know, do in regards to this primary season right now because they have absolute Donald Trump probably wants to be there and they have convinced him that there's going to be debates in the future and it's better off that they start eating themselves literally right now than getting in there right at the start of the cannibalism. So, you know, we're going to keep a track on that, and uh, we're, we're going to keep bringing you exactly up-to-the-minute details. Obviously, we're going to have all the lowlights from the presidential debate and the highlights from Donald Trump's interview with Tucker Carlson on our Friday edition of the show. Right now, we're getting ready to jump in with Congressman Corey Mills, but before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blowtorches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, 
manrubs. Use the code STAKE15 for 15% off your order. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's the congressman that represents Florida 7. He's America first and one of our favorites. Mr. Corey Mills, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be back. Sir, always a pleasure. It's been a busy couple weeks for you. You guys aren't up on the Hill, but not only have you been running around all over your district doing everything from making sure uh, road construction is is up and running down to Veterans Affairs and the Iowa Fair and everything in between, here you are today on Steak for Breakfast. We wanted to start off by touching on the Iowa State Fair. If you could give us a little bit of recap on that experience. It seemed like an awesome one to watch from the outside looking in, but we'd rather have someone who was flying on Trump Force One give us a little bit of insider info as well. Well, it was great to first off be on there with so many of my Florida colleagues, as well as for uh, one of my Texas freshmen, Wesley Hunt. Uh, we discussed a lot about the strategy, mostly discussing the race, but also a lot on the uh, continuation of indictments that were coming out, whether it was the ones out of Georgia or even the ones that are special counsel Jack Smith. So we discussed some of this, uh, some of the unconstitutionality of it, for example. Uh, one of the first charges that you had in the special counsel Jack Smith, which is He's notoriously known for being exceptionally loose on his prosecutorial investigations, and and it shows here uh, where he tried to utilize USC 18, Section 371, claiming that political free speech can thereby be criminalized. And again, this is a direct violation of our First Amendment rights. So uh, the constitutional principle there would be upheld. Uh, then just we got to the, the Iowa State Fair, and I mean, I have to say there was tremendous amounts of turnout and support for President Trump. Uh, we had everyone waving flags, wearing MAGA hats and uh, shirts and uh, waving uh, banners. I mean, you name it, the president drew an amazing crowd. Uh, I got to go out there and uh, cook some of the uh, Iowa State pork and uh, get on the grill for a little bit. And also uh, went out there and played Congressman Byron Donalds, probably one of my closest friends in uh, Congress. Played him three times in ski ball and beat him all three times. Uh, so I am the reigning congressional ski ball champion at this point. Um, but yeah, we, we, we had a great time. Got to give a speech and kind of, you know, hype up the crowd and uh, talk about the great achievements that he had during his presidency and what we want to see in 2024 to be able to take this country back. No, it was all great optics. You know, to say that anyone else was, was welcomed and, and, you know, just resonated larger at the fair that day than Donald Trump is just doing yourself a disservice. It was obviously skewed a lot towards the former president, and, and he looks to be stronger now than he did at any point in 2020, reharnessing. He is that. incredible. His health is fantastic. The guy's golfing 18 holes a day. And so when I hear these individuals like Bill Mitchell or the rest talk about the reason he's not going to the Iowa de- or to the uh, Milwaukee debates because of his health, it's laughable. I mean, President Trump literally sleeps four hours a night. He is constantly on the go. He's having meetings and phone calls nonstop. He looks better now than he did whenever I was serving with him up in the administration. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the president is, is, is healthy. He's energetic. He's ready to go and uh, looking towards 2024 and not wasting his time on a stage for the vice president debate. And what does that say for, you know, all the detractors out there, Corey? He did play a full round of golf uh, the day before the Iowa State Fair. He traveled to the Iowa State Fair and then went back to kick off live this in the very same day and then hosted so many great patriots in his box uh, on the Sunday following the Iowa State Fair that, you know, just to talk about the overall health and mood of the President Trump, we talked to a lot of people around him uh, on a pretty regular basis. And the fact of the matter is the only thing we ever hear is that everyone that works for him is exhausted because of the absolute pace he keeps them all going at. 
Well, that's exactly true. I mean, you talk to any of his staff, you talk to some of his political strategists, you talk to even, you know, myself and other members that were with him. I mean, he gets up in the morning, he'll go golf 18, he'll come out to a, uh, the, the Iowa State Fair, sign over 200 hats, which I witnessed him signing them, tossing them out, giving speeches, giving interviews, get back on, like you said, go to the live tournament, change, go there, uh, entertain other members and hosts there, and then, you know, sleep four hours and continue to move the next day. I mean, the guy is in great physical shape. And, you know, the whole thing is, is those who are trying to question his overall health are just trying to find some way to diminish the uh, amazing kind of uh, kinetic energy that he's created, just getting out there and being amongst the people. And it really does rub off on, on them when he's out there. He has always been the most touchable political candidate in a very long time. and, and I So think, accessible. Yeah, that's that's one of the biggest uh, draws to President Trump. And I think we've he's, never had a president who's been more accessible to the media and the people than President Trump. And there's been no one who's ever been able to speak to the people, address the issues and go after the deep state, which is why everyone's coming after him on the left and the right. That's gl- we're glad to hear it all the time. Even better that you can confirm it. All right, Congressman, we want to segue a little bit. We did have, before you guys broke for congressional recess, the two-year anniversary of the Afghanistan withdrawal. We know this is something that you are very deeply connected to. Not only were you there on the ground saving lives, but you've advocated for the people who died and, and were permanently scarred and disfigured for the rest of their lives since. The mismanagement of the Biden regime from top to bottom to the planning, all the way to where they stand on it now, to which, you know, the final report say it was at the end of the day a resounding success we know this is something you've pushed back hard on we know you demand accountability for joe biden and all the people involved what can you tell us the latest on that as we just hit this very somber anniversary well it is a very somber anniversary and it's sad to report that after two years of a derelict of duty by secretary lloyd austin by secretary blinken and by our supposed commander-in-chief that not a single person has been removed fired or held accountable for the death of 13 service members and 13, the creation of 13 new Gold Star members. You know, we continue in the Republican Party to talk about the fact that we're the majority, and I've said this often, but we just don't act like the majority. We haven't stepped up and done what was necessary to get the accountability that they deserve. We have not gone ahead and looked at the declassification of the dissent cables, which was signed by 23 diplomats that show that they had warned the uh, Secretary of State and the President about the strategy that was going to be utilized and that there would be loss of life. We haven't talked about the fact that Secretary Austin, who said that there was no credible intel, I've actually gone into the SCIF. I have looked at the uh, classified information that he was getting in the intel proofs per day, and I can tell you they were very credible and they were very, very descriptive. Uh, and it, it went off exactly as the uh, intel reports had, had warned. And so I wish I had positive information for people like uh, Miss Paula Knoss or, 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 or all the rest that had lost their loved one. But the fact is, is that the Republican Party has failed to do their job. Yeah, it's a- looking at impeachment articles. I, the impeachment articles with, with Warren Bobert against the president for his derelict yeah. articles of Mayor Garland, of, of Lloyd Austin, of Secretary Blinken. I mean, we continue to look at it and we have reason to do it. It's all plausible reason. But it has not come to the floor, and we need leadership to start taking a stand. 
No, they certainly do. And, Corey, let's just say for the next 13 or 14 months we don't get to any kind of serious disposition on this and, and there's no accountability held. Do you look forward to the fact that when Donald Trump takes back the White House and you win re-election next year, that moving forward you're going to see these guys drug up before Congress and held to real account for not only the overall mismanagement and catastrophic failure that the withdrawal was, but for the loss of life and lack of caring that this regime has shown for anybody that serves in our armed forces and was there on the ground in Afghanistan two years ago? Well, I definitely look forward to having strong leadership. That's the thing that we have across all of the United States government right now is we have crisis leadership. We have people who are scared or hesitant or uh, doesn't need to do what needs to be done because they find it unpopular. But the reality is that the American people are behind holding accountability and getting answers and draining the swamp. And that's exactly what President Trump will do in 2024. Yeah, I mean, for a lot of our listenership who say, oh, yeah, but Congressman Mills is just one man. What can he do? Listen, there are two joint chiefs who currently are not confirmed because of one man in the Senate. That's, right. That's Senator Tuberville. He's he's one of the best ones out there. He's been an absolute blessing Fantastic. for us. And, and it starts with people, and it starts with a motion like that, how you're kind of working, Corey, and it'll snowball into something that takes effect, and it'll be able to hold this administration a little bit more accountable. Last thing I want to touch with you on, when you guys do get back up to the Hill in a couple weeks, it's going to be the start of appropriation season. There's a lot of people in our listenership who are worried about things like the special counsel, the Department of Justice, the FBI, uh, the Department of Homeland Security, and the IRS getting blind funding to continue to do the mismanagement job and wage warfare against America first and against the American people. Is Congress and the House Republicans ready, willing, and able to hold this administration accountable as we're heading into the appropriation season and use the power of the purse to not allow them to continue to go after the American citizens and wage warfare against us like they have for so many years. Absolutely, and I can tell you that there's a lot of my uh, colleagues who are signing a letter now that we'll be sending the leadership to explain. You know, we have continued to ask time and time again, myself, Congressman Byron Donald, Wesley Hunt, Mike Collins, many of us, for all 12 appropriation bills so that we can see exactly what is being spent and what they're allocating of taxpayers' funding and where. The reality is that they continue to have said that we don't have all the appropriation bills yet. Um, we voted on the Milcon VA, understood that, understand our defense and what's needed there, but the reality is that this is why I did not vote for the Fiscal Responsibility Act. I voted for LSG. LSG had a 1.471 cap. It had 1.2 trillion in rescissions. It had permit reforming in there. It had a, a defunding of uh, the Biden administration for the unconstitutional things like you know the college bailouts. It had the complete defunding of the 87,000 IRS agents. All of these things that was in there, unlike with FRA, which has no spending limit cap, only a debt, uh, sorry, a date on there. And it had none of the permitting reforms out of the 23 that we had. We only got four out of the 80 plus billion that was with the IRS agents. We only eliminated about 21 of that. Um, and so until they can actually get all 12 appropriation bills together so we can tally those in a calculator, determine exactly what the government is planning to spend, where that's going to be allocated, and where the rescissions are, I have already told my colleagues and others that I will not vote on an appropriations bill until I know exactly what our total budget is. I'm not voting on omnibus and minibus. We agreed to 12 appropriation bills. We have to go to a 99CR and continue to drip away from there, and so be it. But we have to be physically responsible to taxpayers' money. And the issue with government is that every single year, they gauge their metric of success on how much they spend and not on the tangible outcomes that the American people demand. And so whether it's putting money towards Ukraine, which I will not do until we've actually got a fully funded border wall, whether it's 
looking at further appropriation bills exceeding our $1.471 trillion. I will not vote in support for. Um, you know, the bottom line is, is that we can't continue to be interventionists and ignore the problems that we have here at home. We need to build a strong economy. We need to make sure our military is ready to fight and stop the wokeism that's going on with the DEI. We need to protect our children in our schools and get back to understanding that we are not co-parenting with the government. Yep. And we have to start really being a, a, a good appropriators and being ready to hold the power of a purse to be fun. And guess what? If there's too much spending and there needs to be more in the defense, guess what? Eliminate the Department of Education. Eliminate areas of government first before you start spending more of the taxpayers' money. Well, that's it right there. And and I, just to confirm with you, Congressman, you did say you had no interest and in, in pretty much the delegation of America First Congressman don't have any interest in anything to do with continuing resolutions moving forward? I have no, I will not sign a clean CR. Absolutely fantastic. Listen, we're going to live link your congressional website in the show description today. Always a pleasure and an honor hosting you, Corey. Uh, if there's anybody that's Thank not following you so much, on, on social media, where can they check you out? Well, you guys can follow me at uh, Corey Mills SL on Twitter or X. Uh, I think it's pretty much the same or Mills for Florida when it comes to uh, I think Facebook and Instagram. Or you can just go to our website at the house.gov. Absolutely fantastic. This is one of America's first finest warriors up there on Capitol Hill. He represents Florida 7. Congressman Corey Mills, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, Ron. Take care. Quite an America first way to kick off the week. What do you think? It's very America firsty. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now almost 270 other editions of the show, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. Subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts. Make sure you're also following Steak for Breakfast on all of our social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. We want to thank all of our great guests for coming down today. Colonel Douglas McGregor, absolute banger on Tucker Carlson yesterday. Even more of a heater on Steak for Breakfast today. Ambassador Carla Sands, always love catching up with her. And, of course, one of our favorite America First congressmen, representing Florida 7, Mr. Corey Mills. They all helped make Steak great again. Guys, don't worry. Even though it's Tuesday, we'll be back on Friday with an all-new edition of Steak for Breakfast. We've got a great slate of guests coming in as well. Dueling congressmen, not with each other. Just both guests on the show. Mike Collins and George Santos will be here. Nice. We'll be sitting down with one of our favorite attorneys, Mr. Ron Coleman as well. And we'll have one of New York's finest, Ben Geller, joining us for the first time. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Guys, thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. And take care. What about Major Kong? You know, one of the things I've learned, like, learned in this job is, um, uh, when you're do when you're leading, when you're getting getting things done, yeah, you take incoming fire. We focused on results and leadership, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I would just uh, tell people to go check out the scoreboard. For-